0: Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is on. Competition is on. Competition is on. Competition is on. Competition is
1: Welcome to another edition of Hard to Paint with David Grubb. I'm joined today by a couple of guys who I consider um, just grinders in this business, man. Um, not giving anything, just two dudes trying to get in, um, being honest, doing what they do, uh, and, and trying to really serve the fans. I mean, like, that's the first and foremost. Every time that they put information out, every time they communicate, it's about the fans. It's not about clout. It's not about getting some points. It's about, hey, we're trying to do something for the fans here. So I want to welcome to the show for the first time um, Brian bien and Nader Murphick. Gentlemen, I'm glad to have you. Um, and, and, and welcome. Welcome first and foremost. Oh, man. Thank you. Thank, oh. you. thank you. So you guys were on WBOK, and it was like a really interesting time. Because I had started my show at WODT, um, at Sports 1280, in August. Mm-hmm. And you guys, I think, started October. Am I right? Was it October mm-hmm. of last year? Um, I think it was more of... Uh, it was a little bit later 80? than that?
2: No, it's probably before that. Like, so I think it was like...
1: I no, David, no, I was I hit there
0: first before you uh, really? no, David David was on first, man. We came around uh uh late December, early January. There you go, there you go. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah.
1: so at that time in a city that before it had nothing. There was me, there was, and all of a sudden WBOK had invested in Ro and Ricky, you guys, and um Reggie Flood. At the time, I um, was doing his show. He's still there now, so I Ricky. But that was unprecedented to have that many Black voices on radio talking sports at one time. We had not had that in New Orleans. Here we are a year later. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all are gone. <laughs> I'm gone. <laughs> My station is gone. Um, but here we are. We're still standing. So it's, yeah. it's been a crazy. 2020 has, has been no joke. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely.
2: I mean, we never thought that, you know, when we, when we signed with them, we thought that, you know, it was going to be a a long, ongoing thing with them, you know, the relationship. So, you know, and when we signed with them, you know, obviously, they reached out to me, they wanted to, you know, put me on. And then I reached out to Brian so that me and Brian could continue our legacy of our friend, um, Thomas Gasper, who passed away uh, two years ago and that's the guy who I really started my podcast with nine years ago Um, but when when we you know when we went in we had a mindset and a game plan like man we about to change the game like we got all these connections we have you know everything that we need to make a successful sports show and so I think that going there really opened our eyes because yes we were on the radio yes it wasn't just a podcast and things like that but at the same time man like just putting the work together, like me and Brian, just us getting together, putting our heads together, putting our connections together. I mean, like we randomly, just randomly had Chad Sinko on our show, like randomly. And like Chad Cinco even told me, he's like, look, cause me and him are cool. I'm. He's like, look, I want to come on your show. I'm coming on tonight. Don't tell nobody. Like this is the day of the show. So I'm like, all right, cool. So we got Ocho Cinco calling in to our show, which, you know, at the time it's like, all right, we on WBOK, it's an AM station. You know, we don't know if that many people are listening, but at the same time, we are still gonna do what it do. So we had so many players, so many celebrities, our, just our insight on Saints, Brian with his source sauces, as he says, and just us putting it all together, man, it really worked, it really, really worked. And so, you know, um, at some point, there came a time where, you know, we had a lot of conflict between us and them. They wanted things done a certain way. They kept telling us like, if you don't do it this way, we're gonna fire you. Every single thing that they didn't like or they didn't, they would say, we're gonna fire you. We're gonna fire you. We're gonna fire you. And it's like, look, at the end of the day, me and Brian are sitting in the back, sitting here trying to bring all these celebrities. Like we, you know, we're bringing Chad Ochocinco, Cam Jordan, Teron Armstead, like all of these players to y'all station that y'all wouldn't have even gotten without us. So we're bringing these players and celebrities and all of this. And then instead of embracing us and saying, man, these guys are really working hard. They're really, you know, the listeners are crazy. Like we were having a lot of people listen to our show. They would send us the numbers every week. And we're like, Dan, look at the numbers. Like it's crazy. And so, From us going like you know we're shooting to the top and then it's like well if you don't do this we're gonna fire you if we don't do this we're gonna fire you if you don't do this we're gonna fire you and so we just got tired of it you know and then also too the uh, the thing with us is like social media is a gift and a curse well let me let's
1: get into that then let's get into that because b you left the show first and um it was heavily tied to a situation on social media and you know you have you can I mean if you you can be honest because you're always honest about it I mean you have a past you have been incarcerated you have had difficulties you have overcome them you are now a business owner you are a person that is working on a daily basis you have paid your price um but you, you know, you don't run from that. I've never seen you run from that. I've never seen that be something that, when people bring it up, it's a point of contention for you. They think it is, but it is not. This was not related to that. Um, but do you think that, along with this whole incident, and if you want to go into detail, or if you want to be, you know, give the abridged version, you know, just talk about that and how that situation came about, and just you deciding it was best for you to exit uh, first.
0: Well, yeah, no doubt about it, David. You know, you you alluded to it, man. It's the idea that I do have a criminal past. It's one that I don't shy away from. In fact, I actually believe it kind of, you know, I guess strengthens the story of resolve, man. And not to mention that, but I've always maintained that me doing the sports talk is something that I love to do, no doubt. But I do it because there are a bunch of people who look like me, talk like me, walk like me, act like me, that didn't go to some of the private schools here locally. We, you know, it, we, we kind of grinded from the streets and we know our stuff. And I, I just kind of wanted to be a voice and a face for people that that have tattoos and don't always speak with proper English, that we can also get on TV, get on radio and, and kind of, you know, drop knowledge like the best of them. So that's definitely a part of it. And then, of course, while I'm on my ascent, thanks to, you know, many of people who kind of helped out, Gus Cattengale being one of those who's now with uh, ESPN New Orleans, reached out to try to give me a spot. I screwed that up. I was accused a- of identity theft. That, that uh, Those charges have now been, you know, I guess, exoner- I've been exonerated of those charges, but Uh, or at least uh, uh, adjudicated, I should say. I'm not going to say exonerated, but uh, I'm definitely, you know, over that past, and as you stated, I'm now a business owner. You know, I I have a bunch of different things that I have my hands into, community as well, involvement. So, uh, you know, for me, it doesn't, it's not a knock on me. I feel like it only makes my story stronger. So that's no problem for that. And yes, I do believe that played a role in it. And, you know, to be quite honest, I've always said I'm a work in progress, and that's a long ways away. This is like the Egyptians building pyramids with, Caterpillars and all this great technology we have now, that's me being designed. So, uh, you know, I think when some people on Twitter decide that we're going to cross the line, because uh, many a time you can see it with some of the high profile people, the Stephen A. Smiths, the Skip Baylesses, you know, any celebrity. Social media gives cowards an opportunity to say whatever they feel they want to behind the safety of a keyboard. I just so happen to be the type of person to give you an opportunity to speak that in person, rather via uh, online. And that sometimes gets me into a lot of trouble because, I, I mean, as an adult, we shouldn't handle things in that manner. But sometimes people will take you there. And, you know, I, I've, I've never been one to say when somebody goes low, I go high. No, I will get down on the floor with you and we can go as low as you like. That's just me. But, yes, I do think that played a role in WBOK. Uh, a gentleman on Twitter decided he wanted to troll me a little bit, not knowing that I can, you know, I can dish it out as well as I can. I can get it. And uh, unfortunately, the situation kind of escalated to where he believed us something that, that wasn't necessarily the path that I was going down. In fact, it was nowhere close. Uh, and I think from that point on, WBOK kind of looked at it and said, you're a bit of a hothead, so we're gonna have to try to, I guess, rein you in. And for me, as an entrepreneur, there's no rein me in. I am my own boss, I don't have one, I do my things my way and it's worked for me thus far. So the last thing I'm going to do is for minimal effort and energy from a station that, in my opinion, didn't have our best interest at heart, I'm not going to let you tell me what I am and how I am and and won't handle things, especially when I feel like people are crossing the line with me. You can openly see, but my retaliation is the thing you worry about most. So in that case, I decided at that point, you know what? Maybe it's best if I do it on my own. And sometimes as a business owner and David, you would notice yourself now that you, you you have the podcast. Sometimes, no matter how much it may seem like a great idea to have a major backing, sometimes there's nothing like doing everything on your own.
1: Absolutely. Um, you know, that freedom was important to me. Uh, and also, you know, I had a long standing relationship with Crescent City Sports. Um, that was where I got my start with Ken Treyann. And to be honest, just like you, I felt like at a certain point, um, I had outgrown it, not in a sense that, um, You know, it was anything against Ken or against Crescent City Sports. I still love those people, but my voice, my brand, my identity, the way I was going, I didn't want to affect their brand. You know what I'm saying? Like y'all do what you do, but that's not what I do. And I have to do what I do. And so, yeah, sometimes you take the opportunity. Y'all learn something from that. You learn Framing a show, building all those things, crafting those things, and those important lessons, and you take them with you. Nader, you held on to the show for a while, then there's a transition where they want you to do, um, yeah. make it a duo, and then on top of that, your social media path starts to resurface in a way that, you know, seemed to be, um, I don't know. Just I'll let you say it. I'll let you say it. Yeah.
2: So I mean, obviously, you know, um, you know, being that, you know, I went to Xavier University. I graduated from Xavier University. Obviously, back then, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, would say the N word, and they were just saying like, you know, like it was a cool thing. Like, man, you know, what's up, my N word? What's up? This? What's up? That? And it's like, you know, at the time, Twitter when when Twitter first started, when I first got on Twitter in '09. Like that was the thing, like people would, you know, especially here in New Orleans, like everybody would, you know, kind of rib each other, like, and they'll use that word in the tweets. So, you know, obviously some old tweets came back of me going off on Roddy White and saying the N word and, and, you know, just a bunch of tweets just with the N word. And then, um, you know, obviously I'm Palestinian and, you know, they had some tweets about, you know, Jewish people and, and things like that. So, you know, when it came out, what, a year or or like two years ago, I, you know, I stood up to it like a man. I was like, you know, I did say those things. You know, I've definitely grown as a man, obviously from 09 to now. um, I've definitely grown as a man. I'm a father now. I'm a husband now. Like, you know, I don't say those type of things anymore. And so a lot of people took, you know, took to it and was like, man, listen, we know you. We know the type of person you are. You know, you're not like that. You know you're always trying to help people you're always trying to do things for other people and so i was like look at the end of the day the people that know me know me the other 15 percent of the people that don't know me you know they're gonna they're gonna do what they did brian you know like they're gonna say oh he does this or he said this or he did this and it's like listen at the end of the day the only person that could judge me is god so whenever the tweets came out you know i i i faced them like a man but the thing is, when we signed with WBOK, I told them, I said, listen, I had these tweets. And yes, I deleted these tweets. And, but I just want you to be aware of it, just in case it ever comes back. There are people that don't like us. You know, right. not everybody in the world is going to like you. And that's for me and Brian. Like, not everybody's going to like us. And we've seen that. It's, it's, it's shown. They went and sent They went and sent The tweets, my old tweets, they had screenshotted them and went sent them to the radio station right after we did the show with Chad Ochocinco. And so the radio station came back at us and was like, oh, well, we're gonna fire y'all. And I'm like, for what? They're like, because of these tweets, they sent the tweets to all the owners, they sent it to the director, whatever. And I'm like, listen, at the end of the day, I told you this, I I wasn't
1: hiding See that part, that part is not something, until we talked about this before we started Mm -hmm. this conversation, I did not know that had been disclosed yeah. to them previously. Yeah, we t- in, I told them, I told them. In my mind, that them. changes things. Yeah, so it's like, I told them, I told them, and so
2: like, you know, I told them, and it was like, all right, just clean up the tweets, do what you gotta do. I literally, bro, like, no, not, nobody really knows this but me and Brian, but I literally went and deleted like 20,000, 30,000 tweets from Twitter. Can you imagine sitting there deleting 30,000 tweets? Nope. Like, I mean, from, from '9 to 2020, like, can you imagine? So I went and did that just off the strength of us, us, you know, to keep the show going and, and do what they told me, which was to clean the tweets. So next thing you know, they, they pulled me in the office and was like, well, we're gonna have to let you guys go. And I'm like, for what? They're like, because of the tweets. And I'm like, well, you're just gonna make a rash decision like that? Like, we got something good going. There's a lot of people listening to us. We just had Ocho Cinco on our show. Obviously people are upset at us and hating on us because we had Chad Ochocinco on our show. And then the next day they go send the, you know, the owners and, and WBOK to tweets. So they hating on us. So at the end of the day, it was like, well, I was like, look, just take the weekend to think about this before y'all make this decision because we really got something going on, good going on here. So they took the weekend and then they told me to come in and talk to the owners. And so when, when I well, when I went in there, They were like well why didn't you tell us and this and that and i was like i did tell you guys obviously you know the lady that's running running everything she didn't tell you and that's not my fault like i didn't hide anything but then they were like well why didn't you tell us you were putting brian on and brian has a criminal history and this and that and i was like at the end of the day i didn't think about brian's criminal history like brian is over that that was six seven years ago you know, I'm not going to put my boy out there and say, oh, he did this, 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 that. Like, how is that going to get me a job? How is that going to continue my show? Like, that that makes no sense. But
1: to me, I would say this, too, though. It, it only would be relevant if it was dealing with something right. financial, if he was put in charge. I mean, that well, might be the only time. Well, that's the thing. Like, I mean, that, like that to was... me, in this guard, he comes in, y'all in there for two hours a day.
2: Yeah.
1: A couple times a week what do you, what are you going well, to do? That's my, that's it's what, like, what, it's a locked building that you all got to get in by bus. Right. It's like, that, what, what, what are you going to do? I don't know. Well,
2: and you can ask, ask Brian, like that was the whole thing with, you know, with the owners that own it. They were like, you know, we have so much sponsorship going on with different companies. We're putting this, we have loans out, we're doing this. And this isn't a good look. If it comes out, it's not a good look because you tweeted about Jewish people and you tweeted about the N word and, and, and other things. And I'm just like, I told you about these things. Like I didn't hide it. Like if I hit it, then okay, I'll take my, I'll take my loss like a man. But I really told you about everything before I signed my paperwork. So long story short, man, like, you know, we went through that situation. They told us um, you guys are suspended for two weeks. Okay, so we took our two-week suspension. The day they told me that we were suspended, the next day after that, my cousin passed away. So he died from a heart attack. So it was like, all right, I need to, I need the time off anyway. So it's not a big deal. But you got, and you know, David, like starting a show, you want to start getting it rolling, getting mm-hmm. it consistent. And we're three weeks in, and or four weeks in, and then it's like, boom, two weeks suspended. So, you know, I said, I told Brian, I said, look, we're not going to let it, you know, deter us. We're not going to let it bring us down. So I was like, look, we'll put a game plan together. We put a game plan together. We came back. We had Lance Moore, the first show. We had, uh, you know, Teron Armstead. We had Cam Jordan. Like, we were bringing players and people were tuning in. So we bounced back from the two-week suspension. But then it was like, all right, now because we got suspended, they started looking at us differently. They started looking at us like, oh, these guys are the bad boys. They're the bad boys of the the radio talk, like sports talk. And it wasn't even like that. It was like, these were tweets that happened a long time ago. We addressed them. I addressed them. I apologized for them. I learned from them. I don't say those things anymore. And I'm moving on as a man. So for them... It was like, but y'all the bad boys. We know Brian has an anger issue. We know that you guys go off on social media. And it was like, look, you got to understand the realm of the world that we live in. Brian's black. I'm Palestinian. There's a lot of people that don't like black people as we see nowadays in this world that we live in. There's a lot of people that don't like Muslim people and Palestinian people or whatever. And so it's like, all right, you got two guys who got a following, two two way different followings. (laughs) You, We're bringing you listeners. We're bringing you viewers. We're bringing you people that's buying ads. And yet, it's like, we're going to fire you. We don't appreciate you. And Brian even told them, and he can relate. He's like, look, are we spot fillers? Because you guys are putting us on from 7 to 9 p.m. Are we spot fillers? Because it just seems like we're just spot fillers. And we're bringing you all of this stuff, and we're spot fillers. They never told us. They really never gave us no type of confidence. They never said, man... You know, y'all show, and we're not really looking for that because we know what our show brought. But at the same time, if you want to work for a company, you want people to be like, man, your show your show is fire. Y'all show, man, y'all got this person, y'all got that so, person. So, We B, would ask them, we, David, we would ask them, we would ask them, who did we have on our show last week? And none of them could tell us.
1: B, do you think that there are things that um as first-time Host that y'all could have done better do you feel like it was just a marriage of just it just was never going to work out or is it just you know it was meant to be what it was a learning experience and y'all take it now to 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 do what what you need to do it just wasn't do you feel like ultimately that just wasn't a format for you well I
0: think as a tandem you know we were beginners but my Nader's you know done a successful radio program before on his own. I've been a part of a successful radio program in, with my time with the Sports Hangover, and uh, of course with you know Gus Cattinell again. So I mean, it, it's not it's not necessarily my first rodeo. I started back in 2011 as a you know kind of a, a partial member of the Sports Hangover, and my role increased from there. So as far as radio experience is concerned, I don't think we're you know total novices. I just think it was a bad marriage from the start, not necessarily because of our personalities versus no, theirs. No. It was the idea of you have a, a basically new ownership coming in, they're trying to get everything settled in the midst of all of that COVID hit. So now you're scrambling with that, you know, and I just think ownership in general with WBOK may have the best of intentions, but the execution at this moment is flawed. And I also think because the owners aren't hands on because they have so many other vis- you know business ventures going on, it's kind of hard to really focus on your on your radio you know station. And that I think is a, is going to be something that eventually derails WBOK as the the only black owned and and you know black station here in the city. It's going to derail them because the owners. I mean, in order, especially to get it off the ground, you have to be more hands on, and they aren't. I think that's a, a huge part of it. And I think you know, again, you know, there are things Nader myself could have done better. Like we could have basically just, I guess, for the time being, you know, it was to go along and get along, you know, as the saying or something like that. So I think we could have just kind of stayed quiet gone with the flow, you know, kind of basically we're patient enough to see where it would take us. But unfortunately, you know, especially in this market, there aren't a lot of, you know, minority faces as we, you know, know so well on top of that, when you put in a death slot of seven to nine, when everybody's home watching TV, trying to get their families together. So patience wasn't really on, you know, at the top of our priority list, it was get as many listeners as you can build a high profile, and then maybe use that as a stepping stone to get a better time slot or get what they better station.
1: And so now you you you're in the realm again of, of essentially independence, but you are transitioning. Um, so, B, I'm gonna let you you break it. Then, sports overtime still exists. It's moving yeah. on, and it's going to be a next generation. What's the timetable? Um, who who are y'all partnered with, and and what can folks expect?
0: Uh, right now, man, we're definitely you know excited to say that we'll be back very soon uh via podcast now Dave. We're kind of you know taking taking a little bit uh, of your blueprint and kind of going with that to be independent again we're uh, hooking up with the bam network a a group of brothers here in new orleans that's you know started off with marketing and now they're you know venturing off into into this realm and i just think it's going to be a great marriage because they share our vision of more state-of-the-art as you see now what you're doing with the zoom sessions man it's great to have a face with a voice and that's really the wave of the future man and and, you know Mm -hmm. I, i think this new format that we're going to, the podcast format. No, we can't take callers anymore, and that kind of sucks a little bit, but I think we'll be able to sustain the idea of callers won't be able to come in with the content we're providing, man, because as of right now, by it being COVID, everybody's looking for every bit of information that they can get, and, you know, Nader and myself are two of the best that do it here locally.
1: Nader, let's talk about those relationships because, I mean, not a lot of people, and I'm I'm included in that, but my focus has not been football, but – to have that Rolodex be able to call up players, be able to get folks on the show. Um, just talk about how that grind was to get to that point and how do you? I mean, there are a lot of people who want to establish themselves as quote unquote insiders. Mm-hmm. How do you, how did you build those relationships?
2: Oh man, just, uh, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people know, but you know, when I, in, when I was in college, I was a promoter. So I was throwing parties. So, you know, I was I was one of the top promoters in the city. And so with that, you know, I would throw parties at Metro, Republic. I had the hookah bar on Friday and Saturdays um, every week. So a lot of players and a lot of, you know, just people would come up to me and be like, man, we love your parties. We love what you're doing. We see how hard you go with the promo online and on Twitter, and we just respect your hustle. And so by doing the parties, like I grew um, – I grew a list of people that I got close with, you know, and like for, for instance, like Cam Jordan, like Cam Jordan, I threw his first party in New Orleans at the hookah bar to welcome him to the city. So, you know, a lot of people say, well, why, damn, you're so, you know, you're close with Cam Jordan. You could just text them. And, you know, I'm just like, man, it's not even about that. It's like, they're regular people like us. Obviously he's a saints player, but I mean, he's, he's cool. Like he's one of my friends, you know? And so, you know, I just grew, I just grew connections, man. Just connecting with people. People would come from out of town, be like, man, you know, this person gave me a number. They told me you cool. They told me that you could look out for us and get us this VIP section or get us this and get us that. And so now, you know, just having that list of people, it's easy to just hit up somebody and say, look, man, I really need you for this show. Can you come on for like, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes or, or 15 minutes and be like, I got you. No, no problem. You know, no problem. And so. Um, even even when I was throwing parties, though, like a lot of players would come and be like, "You can, can you hook us up with a section? I'd be like, yeah, I got you. I hook them up with a section. I throw a bottle in there for free. And I'd be like, look, I'll hook you up just whenever I need you to come on my sports show, just come through and they would come. They would come. So it, it, it just it all worked out. It all works out. But, um, you know, just having that list and having that clientele, man, it, it's really awesome. And then you know, just having people in different situations, like, you know, with the whole Jadavian Clowney news and dropping that and saying that the Saints was interested. Like I have one of my, my source, he's close to Jadavian Clowney, like him and Jadavian Clowney literally go traveling together and they're on the phone all the time. So when I said, Oh, the Saints are interested in Jadavian Clowney. And then it came out after people started giving me credit and was like, man, he's, he was right. Like dude was really right. I'm like, man, you just don't know who people know for you to sit there and say, oh, it's not right or it's not true or whatever the case may be. There can be more than just one person that gives you the news. Yeah. It doesn't have to just be one person, you know? So, I mean, just having that clientele, man, and just having that list of, of people is, is just it's cool, man. It's cool. And I think that that's what makes me and Brian show um, different because we can do that. Not a lot of people can
1: yeah, I, I definitely know about that—the disrespect of being a smaller, um, you know, voice in the, in this industry and mm-hmm. breaking some stuff, and have people basically ignore it. Um, oh yeah. You know, like for me, mine was the Anthony Davis, Rajon Rondo. Um, it's you know, once Rondo had left, and Davis found out about it, and I said that that was a big problem between AD and the front office. Everybody acted like I was crazy, and. Mm-hmm. You know, again, when I, when I told people.
2: <laughs> Brian's had his, too. Brian's you know, and we, so,
1: and B, is plenty of them on a, you know, on a regular basis, too. So, be talking about that and just trying to establish that that credibility and telling folks, look, I'm not out here throwing shit in the wind. I don't yes. just say stuff to say it. Like, I, I, I have sauces.
0: Yeah, man, I think. <laughs> Sometimes people get a little spoiled on on, on several things. One is that their source of information, if it's not coming from their source, they're really not, you know, they're really not interested in getting it from another place. Not ESPN or NFL Network or here locally. So if it's not the advocate or, 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 you know, uh, in New Orleans, you know, that football, if it's not those people, then it's a situation to where people aren't as receptive to believe that somebody else could have it. It also hurts when you do miss because not everybody bats a 1,000. But, you know, nobody counts the game winners. They only count the free throws that you miss. Uh, so with that being said, I, I think it's easy for people to sometimes focus, well, you got this one wrong and ignore the nine you got right. So I, I think that's mainly what it comes down to. But for me, man, I, I just I, – I, I more or less get upset, not with the fans, because fans are going to be hit or miss. Some some will support you to the end, and some will say, you know, it doesn't matter how many you get right, they'll still say you suck. That's right. just the way it I, I, I more or less get a little annoyed at our, our colleagues, our peers, those who, who understand the grind. You know, I, I would say that, you know, certain news outlets here locally, when it's easier to just say, you know what, David Grubb had their story first. Don't ignore the the, the the ability of David Grubb to get that story Just say, well, a source per source or something like that, when they could have just said, we're following your report. I think it's petty. I think it's underhanded and I definitely think it's a crutch because it almost seems like the good old boy network sometimes don't like that glass ceiling being broken. And I I think that's why, you know, uh, uh, myself or, you know, a a person like yourself will have a story first and people will kind of keep it on hush and wait for one of their friends to say can confirm and all of a sudden, you know, it's legitimized, but you're not even getting the full credit for it. Uh, I think the story in particular was I was, you know, fortunate enough to stumble upon the Zion news when he was going out for knee surgery. Five hours before, you know, their favorites, woes, shams, and no disrespect to those gentlemen, they work hard, they, you know, they've earned it. But five hours before they even reported it, I was told I was an idiot, nobody cares about Pelican's news until the news breaks. Now all of a sudden, now I know a little something from the same people that told me a moment ago, I don't know crap. So I just think it's, it's a tough situation, man. But I think if our colleagues did more to kind of maybe help us out, you know, even if it's amongst it, a retweet, just thanks a lot. You know, here's, you know, or oh, this person had it first. It's not going to kill to acknowledge it. And I think once that starts to happen, maybe
1: the fans will follow suit. Yeah, there, there definitely needs to be some type of, of just acknowledgement of the value that, that people like us bring. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not the ones, like there are folks, you know, who do this stuff just as a hobby, who are out here and they just want to yep. get their opinions on wax and be like, I said something about the Saints or I said something about this or that. And but there's a difference between being there and following and being active and, and getting information and doing all those things, compiling stuff and really trying to do your best to give new information to fans, not just repackage other people's reports and give stuff out to, to the fans. And you're absolutely right. I, you know, there are there are friends within that, like, that community who will support you and back you. And then there are folks that, you know, are actively trying to make sure that your voice doesn't get heard because you're a threat and and that is just they are scared by the fracturing and i say this to people all the time i don't get scared of this because i'm secure in what i do if my skills are what my skills are if i think that they're as bad as, as i think they are there's not a person out there that can fill my lane however big it's gonna be nobody else can fill my lane and that's i think that that fear is what drives a lot of the New Orleans market, the Baton Rouge market in sports. Anyway, that's why you don't see the diversity of voices. That's why you don't see the diversity of opinions. We ain't all got to say it the same way, deliver it the same way. We don't all have to think it the same way. But there is this clearly a template for what they want you to be personality-wise and appearance-wise in New Orleans radio and New Orleans television and New Orleans uh, print media, all those things.
0: Yeah, no doubt, David. I think one other thing is kind of ironic that some of the people that, you know, we looked up to coming up, especially here locally, are the same thing. It's almost like when we do it now, it's, it's almost it's a bad thing. When Buddy D, we you know, God rest his soul, would come out and basically call it like it is. He was called passionate. When I do it, you know, I'm a problem. I'm, you know, I'm anger. I have a temper thing or whatever the case may be. And and all we're doing is basically we're not bowing down to the establishment. Uh, my job is not to you know and kiss kiss rings pinky rings. My job is to report what it is that's going on. And if that becomes a problem, then wh- what are we doing this for? You know, we're supposed to be giving the news in an unbiased fashion. Look, you know, the Saints ran the ball four times. They were stopped four times. The Saints threw the ball four times. They scored four times. That's what we're supposed to do. Now, we got to present that in an entertaining fashion. We're supposed to break news stories that, you know, that come out that nobody else is supposed to get. But that should be a high five from your colleagues. Like, hey, good job when that happens. But unfortunately – it's like, well, we can't let him do that again or we can't retweet it and give him the shine that he deserves or, or she for that matter. So, I mean, I, I just think, it like I said, it's petty, it's crazy. And, you know, it, it's really a double standard because, you know, when others do it, they're passionate. When we do it, we're loud.
1: Nate, I think the audience is ultimately the one who suffers in that because we see we see in our own pockets um, of audiences and as mine has been exposed to yours and yours has been exposed to mine over these past several months there's a lot of folks who are looking for outlets to communicate directly to them and not give them the the cliff notes the wikipedia version of their teams every day and and i mean how do you view when you when you think about the audience because you present yours in a different slightly different way what are you trying to bring that's unique to the table I mean, just for me, man, just, you know,
2: just kind of like Brian, like, you know, if we, if we get a scoop, like, boom, I I want my, I want my followers to know I want people that follow me to know exactly what's going on. I'm not tweeting it just to get followers or do this. I really want you guys to know what's going on, you know? So, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, man, you know, I'm, I'm a big Saints fan. Everybody knows that, you know, people that have been following me, been knowing me, they're like, man, you a diehard Saints fan, and I am. But at the same time, just like Brian said, if the Saints, you know, only get three yards rushing the whole game, I'm going to tell you, they're they not the old line playing bad or the running back ain't doing what he's supposed to do or the coaches. Why are you calling those plays? Like I'm, I'm the guy who can call them out and say, all right, they're doing bad or when they doing good, they're doing good. But at the same time, people respect you just being real. And I think that with me and Brian, it's a hundred percent authenticity because people know that man, if Nader and Brian are on the same show, or if Nader and Brian are tweeting, they know they're going to get the real. They're not just getting people that put highlights every single day of something that happened last year, just so they, they can get follows or retweets or likes. We're not doing that. Like, I don't have anything else left to prove, to be honest with you, David. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, like last year in December, I tweeted the video of Mike, of Mike Thomas giving a Christmas presents to the kid, you know. And the video went viral, had 3.6 million views, you know. I tweeted a long time ago when the Falcons blew the lead in the Super Bowl. I tweeted the Mardi Gras float. That went viral. I tweeted the clowny news. People doubted me, started cursing me out all oh, year. You're Palestinian. You don't know nothing. You know, like, you don't know what's going on. And then next thing you know, Mike Detilier, big shout-out to him, he goes on uh, ESPN Baton Rouge and says Nader is the one who broke that story.
1: Now, and Mike so, Detilier, I'll give him some props. Mike shout will out back to him. up. Mike will back up the smaller folks who say stuff. Yeah, man, big shout-out to Because Mike has retweeted me many a times, he yeah. is, he, and I'll give him the credit. That dude that, – because, again, that's a dude, if you've ever been around, Mike, for people who have not – He's securing his own skin. Right. other. securing his own skin. I've never right. felt like he's uptight. He ain't worried about you. Mm-hmm. Other than he's like, if you cool, you cool. And and that's and, the only, that's the way he's treating and, me and every that's, time.
2: And that's, and that's the thing, you know, like I've had conversations with other people that are in the, in the New Orleans media who cover the Saints and they're like, you know, man, I like what you guys are doing. You know i like what you guys are doing i think what you're doing is awesome because you know us collaborating and putting all of these these news stories and and what's going on with the saints together it helps not only us but it helps the audience it helps the audience and that's what our main purpose is is to help the fans we want the fans to know that oh this person might be signing with the saints or he's he's interested in the saints or the saints are interested in him like we want people to know that And you you also got to look at it from this perspective. We're not telling you this stuff just to put it out there because guess what? If we're wrong, then you're going to, they're going to, they're going to crucify us. So you got to think about it like, oh, well, they're just trying to get followers. I mean, I got 12,000 followers. It's not a big deal. Like my boy passed away, had like 3,000 followers. What is that going to do? Like he passed away. His Twitter account Mm -hmm. is still up there. I, I can go to his account and see his Twitter page, but he can't tweet no more. So it doesn't matter, like that. that's small stuff. I think that people get so tied into social media and living around social media and saying, oh, I need to have this many followers. I need to do this to get this or attain this. And that's not what it's about. Our job and what me and Brian do very well is one, we tell it how it is, 100% real. Number two, our main focus is getting the information out to the audience. Now we might not write articles, but we put it out there in tweets, and people respect that. So that's, that's our
1: whole goal, man. And, and I, I think that's been the best part of this whole pandemic is that we've gotten a lot more urgency in being honest mm-hmm. and just saying things as they are. Um, and, and again, if we're wrong, we've all been wrong. We've yeah. all gotten a message, gotten a story wrong, gotten an idea wrong, whatever spoke too soon on something that didn't materialize.
2: We did some crazy things.
1: <laughs> I mean, you know, hey, but I mean, that's the job, too. But it's all about, are you accountable at the end of the day for yep. what you said? And I, I will stand behind whatever I said. And if I'm wrong, I'll say, yeah, I got it wrong. But yeah. I had a rationale. You ain't, I, yeah. don't, I don't come up with no shit just off of just like, well, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I have an, a reason. I got numbers. I got my view. I got this. These are all the reasons. And I think that that's what y'all do, too, is. Is is you make sure that it's not just an opinion; it's an opinion grounded in reality. That right. people who question your opinion, if there is a question, I don't, again, I don't think either any of us three has a problem with dialogue going back and forth. I ain't scared of it. I ain't worried about no. it. I embrace it. But at the same time, if you're gonna come at me, you better have done your homework too. But you know, right. but you know, but you know, David was funny and was
2: pretty. It's funny and cool at the same time. Is that at the end of the day? when you get something right, right, and, the, and you got haters, and when the haters tweet, man, that dude was really, he really had the scoop. He really knew what he was talking about. That's what makes it you know, pleasurable for me. Like, all right, you guys doubted me, I told you, but when somebody else said it and confirmed my report, then it's like, oh, Nader, you really had it, man. You really the source. I'm like, man, and, and you know, with me, and I tell Brian this all the time, like, for me, breaking news is cool, but, man, sometimes I don't even want to deal with the headache with it because you'll have people asking you, oh, well, what's up with Clowney? What's his next move? Is, uh, where did, you know? Where is he right now? Is he in a house? Is he in a bathroom? Is it?" It's like, bro, like whenever I get the news, I'll tell you.
1: <laughs> See, that's the thing is you control the flow of information. That's what I'm saying. I don't have like, to – like I, people, people send me questions and DMs all the yeah. time, and I just don't answer them because I'm like I don't give everything away – just at your, yeah. I'm not a. You don't put a coin in David. Right. and David give you stuff. You don't.
2: Work and like, like that. today, and like today, I, I hit up my source. I'm like, you know, the season's coming up soon, man. What's up with Clowny? He's like, man, you know, I just was with him in Arizona last week, and he's just waiting. He's really just sitting it out. He's like, man, if I ain't got to go through training camp, then that's cool. I, that saves me my time and energy. I'm like, all right, well, cool then. All
1: right, so all let's right. let's go into what y'all. Are known for best your, your information for, on the Saints. We we're eleven days in the camp. Um, yesterday they had the walk through uh, the practice in the Superdome. Mm-hmm. Let's start, uh, B. We'll start with you on this one. The group that's getting talked about the most in camp, to me, is the secondary. They've been extremely impressive throughout camp. Talk about the standouts there and and just who has really shown up, um, particularly like a Patrick Robinson who. People were really ready to count off. He's having a great camp.
0: Yeah, well, it's the names you know, man. It's the name that we all know. It's the P.J. Williams. It's Patrick Robinson. Marshawn Lattimore, Janoris Jenkins. Mm-hmm. Marcus Williams. Malcolm. It's, it goes, The list goes on, but it's all the guys we know can absolutely ball. They just happen to be putting it together at an accelerated rate. I mean, you know, the offense is getting, you know, all, all, you know, all it can handle from the defense right now, and it's simply because of what Dennis Allen has. Number one, in order to run that scheme, you got to have talent. All those guys have talent. All of them are also versatile. They can play inside or outside. And most importantly, the safeties have the range to be able to come down and support the run as well as play the pass. And the nickel guys, man, like, you know, you just named Patrick Robinson a forgotten idea here in New Orleans because many people think if Sean Payton is going to make a cut, that's probably the cut that's going to be made is showing up and balling again. People forget when he left New Orleans the first time and went to Philadelphia and then San Diego. He played actually well. For whatever reason, he just never played well here in New Orleans. So I think a guy like, you know, Patrick Robinson, P.J. Williams, they're going to surprise people. P.J. now being moved over to safety, and a lot of people questioned when they saw that last year. And I told them, you know, PJ's not going anywhere. It's going to be around, you know, because mm-hmm. of his ability to play free safety as well. He's a backup guy for Marcus Williams and filled in admirably. So I think what right now what's going on with the Saints is that that, that young defense, that secondary is balling, and a big, a big key cog to that is the ability for Malcolm Jenkins to line everybody up and tell them what's coming. I think they're going to be a, a, a priority for this unit, and I think that's going to be able to help out guys like Marcus Davenport and Cam Jordan get to the quarterback. I, I just think, man, with the Saints have going right now, this is the year that they can actually pound their chest and say we're one of the better defenses, or it should be.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. they they look like they're, uh, you know, they were very close to being a top five defense for the most part last season. Um, Some areas that, you know, where they gave up some big plays that hurt them on the back end. And, of course, uh, the consistency of the pass rush has always been something. So, Nader, could you talk about first they add three pass rushes, essentially, with Whitman Manis, Anthony Lanier, and T.J. Carter um, for the defensive line. The line looks good. Health is always the question. And again, Marcus Davenport, though, hasn't looked has looked really good in camp, too.
2: Yeah, definitely, man. Definitely. And they're expecting a, you know, they're expecting a big season out of him this year. Again, like you said, if he can stay healthy, man, obviously, we saw last year what he was doing before he got injured. You know, if he can continue that, you're looking at a guy who can bring you 12 to 13 sacks a year. Now, when you look at it from that perspective, you say, well, man, the Saints really traded two first-round picks to get him. But if you're going to average another guy on the other side of Cam Jordan who's going to get you 12 to 13 sacks, I think that's a huge win for them. But they just have to stay healthy, you know. And you have Trey Hendrickson behind him. You have other players. And, you know, a lot of Saints fans are the ones who are saying, say, well, come on, you know, let's get Clowney. We need Clowney in the rotation. It would be nice. Trust me, it definitely would be be nice. But – Um, If everybody can stay healthy, I think that D-line is really going to eat, especially with Sheldon Rankings being back and having a hell of a camp right now. I think the D-line will really, really be solid.
1: What I like about the D-line this year is Mm -hmm. they can go to speed packages where they move a Davenport inside as a tackle and still be effective there because now with the Zach Bond, who can put his his hands on the edge and be a Mm -hmm. rusher, um, I think that that versatility only helps the Saints because that's been a thing, too, is be able to get guys in when they were injured, not being able to do those rotations, not be able to put in different sets because you just didn't have enough bodies. And I think with Zach Bond, man, like
2: we had him on our sports show, and Zach Bond is telling us, man, you, you can ask Brian, he was so confident in us telling him, like, hey, who are you going to sack? If you, are you going to get a sack on Tom Brady? He's like, I'm, I'm sacking Tom Brady. And I'm like, all right, let's let's <laughs> let's do it. Me and Brian made a bet with him. We're like, man, if you sack Tom Brady in the first game, we'll donate anything to a charity of your choice. We'll donate some money to a charity of your choice. You, you sack him in the second game, we'll double that donation. He was like, he was down, man. But I'm really expecting him to be more of a pass rusher this year, mm-hmm. you know, instead of linebacker. I think that at linebacker, you know, they have the Mario, they have other guys, but I feel like with him, He's just going to be coming off that edge, man, just trying to get sacks. And I think that me and Brian might be, uh, we might be losing
1: some money week one. <laughs> B, uh, Kiko Alonso is still a, a question mark. And with guys who are looking better, Caden Ellis comes back and yep. he's looking solid. Is Kiko potentially somebody that the Saints look to move and, and just to have some flexibility in another spot? Because I, uh, where does he sit on the depth chart now?
0: Well, I think with the with the loss of Nigel Bradham who was recently cut, I think he could go safe for now. Should he be able to come back? Right now, the ACL just isn't progressing like they thought he would. They thought he, you know, at be a lot further ahead and he isn't right now so I think that's going to take a little bit of time but there's a there's a love affair with him and I think that you know coaches really like what he brings to the table but some of the younger guys we're hearing about like you said Kate Nellis, Chase Hanson is another name, Joe Bacci these guys are hungry and, and out there actually getting the reps now luckily for Kiko the Saints know what he can do you know, he's a, he's a two-down linebacker. He's going to provide veteran leadership. He's depth. So I don't think he's far down the depth chart yet because of the injury. But I think the more we see these young guys, and I think, you know, especially with the scrimmage coming up, if they happen to pop out and shine, I'm not saying Kiko was in trouble. I'm just saying you might want to talk to a real estate agent. Yeah. Because, I mean, the Saints have
1: shown that they are not tied to anybody financially. It doesn't matter what you make. It doesn't matter what round you were drafted in. And uh, our friend Ross Jackson and I had a real good conversation about the direction of that front office and having a plan for every player and having a a uh, concrete idea of the profile they want in a player. It's amazing how quickly they make an assessment like on a Nigel Bradham, a guy who wanted to be in New Orleans, and then you don't hear a lot of problems, but it's like, okay, this isn't working for whatever reason. And the Saints have no problem cutting ties quickly. No, not at all, because yeah. the Saints,
0: unlike a lot of teams, aren't in a position to wait around for you. Uh, you know, they, they're actually a, a lot further ahead, but they're also behind the gun because we know number nine, this is quite possibly his last season, and they're trying to go out with the bang before they have to turn the team over to a Jameis Winston or, or Taysom Hill, or whomever, maybe a rookie draft pick. The Saints are, you know, all money in, no money out at this point when it comes to their roster. And Nigel Brighton not being able to grasp the playbook, from what I understand, quick enough, falling down the depth chart. Then once he gets down, chart. Now he's sulking, he, you know, on. T- and I don't think the comments that, you know, that he made about Philadelphia and Buffalo got him cut. I just think they were basically like, Oh yeah, we'll add that to the list of reasons as well. But I, I mean, I don't think, you know, him making those comments like many people believe it's what got him cut. It was the idea that he couldn't grasp the playbook. He was behind a lot of young hungry guys. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, it's still the idea of you can't sulk because I don't need that in my locker room.
1: They don't have time for it. They, they just don't have time yep. for it. Um, Nader. With the offensive line, we see um, Cesar Ruiz has missed a couple practices lately, mm-hmm. um, but it looks like he had been taking the lion's share of the snaps at center. I think this is a lot like what it was last year with McCoy, where they yep. pretended like he wasn't going to start, and then, and then he would start a week one. Um, mm-hmm. But Nick Easton is a guy now who Andrews Pete is hurt. Yep. You have these guys who are missing a couple things. Ryan Ramchick has sat out a few practices, too. How much more valuable is Nick Easton I don't think anybody wants to see him starting a number of games. but what is his value this season at this point? No, his
2: value is is man. He has a lot of value going into the season, especially as you know with the offensive line man, the offensive line always has some type of injury always regardless what, whether it's Teron Armstead Pete Pete's always hurt. So going into the season having him obviously they're paying him a lot of money to be a backup, but they really need him, especially with Andrews P going down. So I I think his value is definitely gonna be there. As far as Ruiz, I think that him and McCoy, I don't know how it's gonna play out, but if I was to guess, I would say that they would keep McCoy where he is because of the limited camp and, you know, the OTAs not, you know, Ruiz not being able to go to OTAs and things like that. So I would say that they would keep McCoy at center and, and put Ruiz in at guard for sure going into you think,
1: B, what do you think? Uh you think that they start McCoy or they start uh, Ruiz's center?
0: No, I'm actually going to disagree with my partner on this one. Okay. So everything I'm gathering, it, it's definitely going to be Ruiz. And I think there's a couple of reasons for it. One is, like you said, David, we saw it last year with McCoy. You know, they kind of played around like they weren't going to start him. Everybody kind of knew what was going to happen. He yep. pops up in there, and then you don't have to necessarily worry about him making the center calls because Drew can always make the line checks for him. And that gave him time to kind of get acclimated to the system by the time he does. He was able to kind of help out guys like Teddy and Taysom back there. So I think it's going to be that situation. But McCoy is a natural guard. And I think Cesar Ruiz is a natural center. That's going to play out just like that, I think, when it comes to Nick Easton. He's a valuable backup right now. He's Senio Kelemente. He's a guy that they can plug and play if somebody goes down, probably use him in those jump packages. And I just think, man, it comes down to Andres Pete being healthy for week one, which he should be. Uh, You know, he has a hairline fracture. Shouldn't, you know, that shouldn't take him out of action for too long. But uh, I think that the O line is going to be one of the strengths for the Saints if they can stay healthy. And from what I get from the sauces, Uh, Everybody should be a go right now for week one. All the guys that have been missing practice, we'll see him start to return a little bit as the scrimmage comes up and then everybody getting ready for week one.
1: Has Pete been working, um, you know, in a lot of, in one-on-ones in getting his, his biggest problem has been his footwork. Quite frankly, it's just his ability to get back in pass protection and move his feet. Are they working with him on that um, while during this time off?
0: Well, of course, because he can't use his hands right now. So naturally footwork would be the thing that they focus more on. But I just think for Andres Pete, man, I think, you know, him coming into camp in shape and, and, you know, basically dropping that weight, I think that's going to help him move his feet. I think he put on the weight. He got a little lunky thinking he was going to play tackle. They move him inside the guard. And I I just, for Andres Pete, man, I understand why the Saints gave him the contract a little bit more than maybe others do. Number one, they put him behind the gun. They moved him all over the place as a rookie and as a young guy, trying to find out where exactly he should play best. They finally figured out he's better on the left side. Then they don't even put him at tackle. They put him at guard. But they paid him to be both. So I think that's the situation with Andres Pete. I think that, you know, unfortunately for him, it's always something. It's either our ankle or a hamstring, you know, or the shoulder or, you know, a bicep and now it's the hand. So I just think for him it's always something. But when he's healthy and when he's locked in – He's one of the better ones, man. So I think you know. I think you know. People should kind of give him a reprieve a little bit. See what he, see what happens. But the Saints' O line would be a strength for them. I don't see that being the weak link, even if Ruiz, the, the rookie, is starting at center.
1: Nader, I know you got to run in a few minutes, mm-hmm. so I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you close on this one. Yeah. Um, when I look at the the Saints in the early part of the season, because mm-hmm. of the lack of. Time this offense is going to have together as a group because of the continuity you do have on the offensive line, but you do have a, a rookie there at center most likely. The fact that you have Latavius Murray, the fact that you have Alakamar, the fact that you have Ty Montgomery, the fact that you have Deontay Harris, who can all get the ball in space and do different things. It seems to me that the Saints are looking to kind of lean on the, the running game and the short intermediate stuff with those guys in space. That would be the lean early on in the season, especially as you try to get yeah, that yeah. offense its rhythm. Yeah. Because you I, you figure the defense gonna hold people to seventeen and under. That's what, I, I mean that would be yes, <laughs> right. That, I mean that's what we're thinking for. If you're a Super Bowl contender, mm-hmm. legitimately, this league you should be seventeen and under. I think, I think with
2: them, it's going to catch up. So they're going to start the season just like you said, man, just try to get everybody acclimated to the game speed. And then, you know, especially Ruiz, trying to get him acclimated to game speed. And then, you know, start opening it up a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. So I think with the Saints, I think that they have to get back to running the ball, like you said. You know, with, with rushing, obviously, you know, when they won the Super Bowl, I think they were like fourth or sixth in rushing. I think we need to get back that I think we need to be more balanced I think when you look at a guy like Michael Thomas you know him catching 149 catches is awesome but at the same time we need to be more balanced we need to be more balanced now bringing in a guy like Emmanuel Sanders bringing in a guy like Ty Montgomery bringing in You know, um, a guy like Benny Fowler, who with Sanders and Fowler, Drew Brees was practicing with before training camp even started just to build that continuity with them. I think just adding all of those guys to the equation and just having more targets to throw to, especially with Jared Cook and now you got Trotman, you got other players that can come in. I think it's gonna open the offense even more, especially in the run game. The run game has to be a little bit more consistent to me. I think just to open it up even more, Now a lot of people say, well, man, the Saints always been putting up 20, 30 points, you know, a game, but at the same time, I just feel like we have to be more consistent in the run game and, you know, as we go back to the Super Bowl year, they were consistent. It opened up a lot. And when you look at it from then till now, just like you said, David, I think the defense is going to be a team where they're going to be getting a lot of sacks. They're going to be getting interceptions, especially with having all those ball hawks in the backfield, you know, for them. I think it's just going to be the same thing with the Super Bowl. Like they're going to get a lot of interceptions. The team will get the ball on the 30, the 40 yard line. They'll be, you know, it's a touchdown or they'll score, you know, quickly. So I think that, just you know in the beginning you have to start off slow but they'll definitely put it all together for sure
1: and since you got to bounce tell folks how they
2: can follow you and oh, you yeah, know we're sure. gonna have
1: you back man you know we'll have you back oh man anytime man
2: we got to get you on ours for sure <laughs> but Most uh, if you want to if you want to follow me man on twitter nader at nader n-a-d-e-r R seven two three. you can catch me on twitter nader 723 or instagram nader 723
1: all right brother I appreciate it um me and you oh, no me and a Hi <laughs> <laughs> right, man thank you man. No problem. Um, when we talk about the wide receivers there um the depth we were, uh, when this when the, when the training camp started we were looking for a third now it seems that, that that's a crowded position and that cutting at the bottom of the wide receiver spot is going to be a lot harder than we thought.
0: Yeah, well, I think most of the guys who, you know, fans are always asking about, you know, your Emmanuel Butlers and, you know, Lil' Jordan Humphreys, those guys like that, I don't see anything changing than what it did last year when those guys are going to be practice squad eligible. They'll still stick around in that, compa- you know, that capacity. But we can almost name the wide receivers at this moment right now for the Saints. And as you stated, it's a lot of talent, a lot of depth. Depends on how you want to view Ty Montgomery. But I think that's one of the reasons why the Saints will run the ball more this year. It's because I think everybody has a defined role. Uh, I think when we look back at some of those older teams, we saw uh, Pierre Thomas or Reggie Bush, and then they had a Mike Bell. I think we'll see very much the same thing this year. I think we're going to see, uh, uh, you know, uh, Alvin Kamara with, with, alongside Todd Montgomery with Latavius Murray, and I think Murray finally has a role in the offense, which is he's going to be the hammer. If the Saints are up by 10 and it's, you know, fourth quarter, it's his time. And I think they're going to have him short, uh, short yardage, goal line, tough yard situations, and he's going to finally have his role, which is going to open things up for those wide receivers because we all know the Saints used to have about maybe 12 downfield shots per game. I think now we'll see that number come down to six, because Drew's arm is, you know, they're not going to throw his arm out trying to get the ball 40 yards downfield all the time. But what we'll see is, like you said, the the uh, the Ty Montgomery's, the Alvin Kamara's, the Emmanuel Sanders, the Benny Fowler's, those guys getting the ball in space and making something happen afterwards. And I think that's what the Saints need to do. Uh, back when Rich Gannon was kind of losing his arm speed, you know, his fastball, John Gruden went to a, a dink and dunk offense and it shredded everybody with the Oakland Raiders. I think we'll see the same thing for the New Orleans Saints. It's either you're going to get beat over the top or it's going to be death by a 1,000 cuts, but this offense is
1: ready. Yeah, I I think that the line wants to be physical out of the gate. This is a line that's made to be physical with Ramchek and with Cesar Ruiz. These are guys who are are going to move forward. Teron Armstead, so I I would love for them to rely on Latavius Murray because he strikes me, if you give him the carries, we saw what he could do. He can get you 900 to 1,000 yards on the ground if, if they let him get 15 touches a game. I, I just – I firmly believe it, and I think that for Kamara, I just don't want him to get wrapped up in a numbers game. And that's the problem that I have with these kind of contracts is that you look at over there and you say, well, here's 1,000 and a 1,000 in McCaffrey, and now people are looking at me and judging me based on that. He has to maintain his value to the Saints – It's not a statistical value compared to Christian McCaffrey. It's a statistical value relative to what you do for the Saints. And I think if he worries, I know he says it publicly, but I know there's an idea in his mind that I got to get to double-digit touchdowns, that I got to get to 1,500, 1,600, 1,700 combined yards again. And I just don't want that to be his focus this season.
0: Well, that's exactly what I think the New Orleans Saints should and will take care of his contract situation before they play Tampa. So I would think within the next week or so, uh, uh, you know, maybe what we got in about two weeks until we reach uh, the Tampa game. I think over the next two weeks, we'll see them actually make a move because I don't think they want Alvin Camara worried about that type of stuff uh, during the season, whether or not he has to be more careful. Because last year, I think Alvin Kamara made some business decisions when it came to whether or not he wanted to get hit, run out of bounds or, you know, whatever, you know, have you fall down maybe, you know, a step or two short of what a first down marker may be. I think those were business decisions. Now, I can't blame him for doing so. On top of the identity, he suffered a knee injury and had to kind of play through that. But I think that's why, you know, exactly why the Saints take care of him early. I think the contract has been set thanks to Derrick Henry. And I definitely think the Saints right now or or basically under the gun because you don't want to see a guy like uh, Cook up there in Minnesota get his contract first and now you're matching two contracts and trying to exceed them so I think the Saints will get it done and Kamara will go out there and have one of his better seasons because he won't have to worry about it and if Ty Montgomery can be that complimentary piece then that means Latavius Murray has a role, Ty Montgomery has a role and it doesn't put that much pressure on Alvin uh, Kamara to be the guy.
1: Yeah, it kind of allows Ty Montgomery to be like a Darren Sproles type, type player when the Saints were running those three back sets and lining Sproles up in the wide receiver spot and doing things like that. So, yeah, you can put either one of them, because Kamara can run receiver-type routes. You can put line either one of those two guys outside, and the defense still won't know if you're going to hand off the ball in the backfield. And, and that, that just – the options, like you said, they just have an abundance of options now.
0: It just seemed like that was Sean's Peyton game plan coming into the offseason. It it seems like he targeted two things. And if I had the ability to ask him, I definitely, what was it done by design? Two things have been necessary, high football IQ and versatility. And, you know, those two things kind of go hand in hand. But if you look at the moves they made during the offseason, every single player they acquired can play multiple positions. And I think that's the reason why they did so.
1: Yeah, and in this season, I think that's even more important because of the the likelihood of injury or players getting infected and missing a game or, or two weeks or whatever. Um, having people who can fill in at different spots is going to be vital. And um, I think that makes the Saints – it puts them in a very strange position because when they get to the, the cut-down day, it's going to be really hard. Mickey Loomis is not looking forward to this because even with the extended uh, practice squad – there's going to be some talented guys the Saints have to put on the street.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. We saw that over the last couple of years. The Saints would make draft picks, and you know, the, the guys not even make the roster because their roster is so loaded with talent right now, whether they be through free agency or the draft or signing undrafted guys. The Saints have an abundance of talent over there, and the only benefit that the New Orleans Saints have is that most of their returning starters are coming back. You have almost the same coaching staff. So from a coaching aspect and a talent aspect, most of your guys are there. But some of the guys that you were counting on, you know, some of we mentioned a moment ago, an Emmanuel Butler or a little Jordan Humphrey, you know, some of these, you know, corners and and safeties that they have, you know, these guys are going to go on to other teams possibly within the division and come back to bite you in the butt. You know, Sean Payton talks often about Rob Ninkovich and the one that he got away. That's mainly the reason why I think Trey Hendricks sticks around as long as he has.
1: (laughs) Um, The predictions are starting to come out for the division uh, Atlanta. We'll go through them alphabetically. Atlanta. A lot of folks. Vegas pretty, pretty much has them as an eight and eighteen. Um, I'm not surprised. I, I think that they took a big swing on Todd Gurley, but I don't see him playing more than eight nine games uh, of effective football. I still have big questions about their defense, and I don't know if they've if they've solved their um, their problems with their line either. I just don't think the Falcons moved. it. I mean, seven to nine to nine and seven is what the Falcons are.
0: Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think they'll end up 7-9. and nine. I think there's a ton of pressure on Atlanta right now. Of course, you know, they don't really necessarily get the fan support anyway, so it's going to kind of be, like, normal to them not to have anybody in the stadiums. But I just don't think that team is ready. I think their coach is on a hot seat, which is also a problem. Uh, when Dan Quinn is, you know, possibly coaching for, you know, his life, I just think at this point, man, the Falcons are gonna, you know, probably have a little early success, but then fall off of a cliff like normal, man. And I think they're the one team in the division that can't allow a major injury to happen. And I just don't see Ty Gurley paying off. If you know, I think he's gonna miss time. And I think, with that being said, you better pray that Julio doesn't miss time either. And he has over the last couple of years. He's a tank from the ankles on up. But I mean, you know, that's about what his problem has been. But I don't know. They've got to find some kind of formula. And right now, whatever they have isn't working.
1: At least it won't hurt him on touchdowns if, if Julio gets hurt.
0: You ain't lying because he didn't catch no touchdowns anyway.
1: He ain't none, none. What,
0: six last year, he and Taysom had the same amount? Or Taysom had one more yeah. than Julio, didn't he? I think, Taysom had more, I think Taysom had more touchdowns than Julio, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, either way, you shouldn't be tied with Taysom.
1: Not It shouldn't happen. No, 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 no. Um, going up the road to Carolina, um, not a lot expected out of them. They're only returning, I think, two starters out of 22. Um new coach, new offensive coordinator, Teddy up there. Uh, most people have them at 5 and 11. That doesn't surprise me. This is, they know it's year one of a rebuild with this group. But I do think offensively this is a better team than people think.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And I think Christian McCaffrey is a problem no matter how you want to slice it. Everybody in the building knows that the offense goes through him and you still can't stop him. He's a bad boy, and I'm not about to take anything from him. You got a very comparable quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater who's going to make smart decisions. So I think they'll, they'll do fine offensively as far as being able to kind of, you know, sneak and, you know, a sneaky team to put up maybe around 24 points a game. But I just don't think with the rebuild that they're doing. And the fortunate part for them is that they also have new ownership. So the ownership is the guys who selected these coaches. So they'll give them the time needed to kind to build this thing the right way.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is a very young coaching staff. These are guys who had no, no experience really at the at this level being coordinators and head coaches. And you're talking about that's a team that that needed to overhaul everything on the back end of his defense. Linebacking core just got decimated with injuries over the last few years with Luke Kuechly, you Thomas Davis being hurt all the time, and then the secondary just got aged out and. that's the thing that people have to remember how amazing that run to the Super Bowl was for the Panthers, because when you look at that team, it was Cam Newton and some dudes out there on offense. That
0: That was it. And you know, Cam is not the most accurate quarterback. So we know the work he had to put in. What were they 15 and one on that magical run, man. And I'm like, Carolina had won the division three years straight, man. So I mean, it's not like they were a fluke to win it and get to the playoffs. It's just that, you know, right now they, like you said, they kind of just, You know, they built it a certain way. It started to crumble, and once the bottom fell out, that was pretty much it, man. You lose your defensive guys, Josh Norman, and then, you know, all these other, you know, veterans. So I just think for Carolina, it's going to be a long climb back, but, you know, at least they have a chance to build it their way, and they're going to be basically the Saints' light because they have, you know, going to be running close to a similar offense with similar skill set players.
1: Yeah, the the wide receivers are, are talented. They're young. But they're talented, and if they can stay healthy too, they've got size at that position, they've got speed at that position, and they've got versatility, um, you know, as well. So they've got a couple guys who they're trying to utilize in kind of a Taysom role or a Kamara role as well as having maybe the best back in the league in Christian McCaffrey. Um, You go to Tampa, and I think folks have just gotten loose with them. This 12-4 and stuff, it just seems to me. The, my problems with Tampa are these. Number one, that O-line is still in isn't any better. And they got blitzed like crazy last year. And Tom Brady is not Jameis Winston. And, and just moving and avoiding pressure. Uh, I think the receivers are not going to be happy because they're not going to see the downfield targets that they're used to getting. Uh, I think that you're going to see Gronk being force-fed by Tom Brady because he won't trust anybody. And I don't see them running the ball particularly well. So I don't – the offense to me I think takes actually a step back than what it was last year. Defensively, they, they were okay against the run, but that was because you could throw on them so easy. Yeah. So 12-4 and four just seems like that's, that's a bit much for this team in its first year. And Tom Brady is 43, and we have never seen a quarterback. And I don't care how shit in shape he is. Tom Brady's arm would not Brett Favre's arm at 43. Tom Brady's arm is a noodle at this point, And he's been going backwards for three straight years. I don't see how he reverses it now.
0: Now, you, you nailed it with everything you just said. Now, just add the idea that I think Tampa's on a – you know, their, their schedule is made for them to be on a roller coaster ride. I think they might – they're going to start off with New Orleans. I think they'll start off bad simply because they haven't had an offseason. They don't know what it looks like. But all the problems that you named within the team itself and the personnel, you know, Bruce Arians, I, I think, at some point, is going to rub off wrong on Tom Brady and Gronk because they're not used to it being that way. They can say whatever they want. They just – you know, you're not used to that. And I think on the on the other side of that, as you say, defensively, they're still trying to figure out what they're going to do. You know, when you can stop – you. Can't you. can't stop the run or you can't stop the pass because the minute that you start, you know, pulling those safeties back, teams are going to run on you all day long and you can't afford to, you know, cheat them back up because then it's just going to throw the ball over the top. So it's going to be a a cat-and-mouse game. It's going to be the same thing with the schedule. I think they'll play the roller coaster. They're going to go down. They're going to come back up and make everybody believe, okay, here comes Tom Brady. Then they're going to go right down again and kind of, you know, end those hopes of, you know, a Super Bowl run. I really think this is fool's gold, and I can't wait to everybody who kind of picked them to go to the playoffs in a Super Bowl, you know, get made fun of, because this is just ridiculous to have two players. think they're going to change an entire franchise that's known for futility.
1: To me, um, this – the whole – Conference in the NFC comes down to the Saints, the 49ers, and the Seahawks. Those those to me are the three. Um, I don't think the Packers do it. I don't think the Vikings do it. I don't certainly I don't have no faith in the Bears or the Lions. I have no faith in the Cowboys, none in the none in the Washington football team, none in the Eagles. And I mean it's like outside of those three, I mean, Arizona's not gonna make a jump that big this year in year two with Kyler Murray. I mean who who out there is 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 in that level cuz I just don't think Green Bay has enough they didn't help Aaron Rodgers at all and then Philly they're always an injury away yeah
0: yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think it's a three-man, three-way dance between the Saints, Seahawks, and, of course, you know, uh, the 49ers. I think that, you know, fortunately for the Saints, those two teams are going to have to beat the hell out of each other in order to make it happen. So you kind of get a reprieve there. Most of the tough games for the New Orleans Saints are going to be in the dome, crowd or no crowd. You know, you still got to travel and come play that game here in New Orleans against a pretty good team. And most importantly, I think the only thing for the New Orleans Saints at this point is how do you avoid the Minnesota Vikings? Because if they sneak into the playoffs, I don't care how much you're the better team. Sometimes doubt creeps into to your mind and you know we can say the nfc championship game was a win for the new orleans saints uh when it, when they beat the vikings and went on to the super bowl but that wasn't the easiest game for the saints either you know it took a whole lot to get past the minnesota team that turned the ball over i believe seven times recovering uh losing five of them i'm sorry so i think with that being said uh we're looking at a saints team that you know for some reason they can't exercise the demons that are the minnesota vikings better hope that you don't have to see them again because i'm not confident the saints can beat them not because they aren't the better team because I just think it's in their head that they can't beat Minnesota.
1: And I think it it all comes down to in the playoffs is, as you talked about, they need Latavius Murray to be a hammer in the fourth quarter. That's why they didn't beat Minnesota in Minnesota two years ago because they did not establish the run early and could not run late. They were relying on the pass. Um, I still think that's why they lost, you know, essentially um, an overtime to the Rams. You know, you you take the pass interference call, the strategy of just not going into the overtime and not even trying to run the football against a team that you had been able to gash. I didn't understand it. So I, I think Sean Payton has to trust those guys enough at the end of this season. And we know with older quarterbacks, whether it's Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, at some point to win in the playoffs, you scale everything down and you just let the defense and the running game do their jobs and you rely on your quarterback to make the throws when he's got to. And I think that that's where you want Breeze this season. If he's throwing for 4,000 yards, I think that's a problem. If he's closer to 35, 38, and the running game is up over the, around that 1,800, 2,100 mark, I would say the Saints are, are coasting.
0: No, nah, I'm right there with you. And I think at some point, you know, Sean has to kind of go back to, and, and it's a little bit of ego. So when it comes to Sean Payton, man, the same things that make you laugh, make you cry because he's the gift and the curse. You love him because he has the stones to call an a onside kick in a Super Bowl, trying to steal a possession. You also, it, it annoys you when it's fourth and one and, you know, you're on your side of the field and he tries a, a reverse with a tight end. So, I mean, you kind of got to take the good with the bad when it comes to him. But, you know, that's who he is. He's an aggressive play caller. Sometimes he makes the good call and when he does, he's the GOAT. When he doesn't, you know, he looks like a clown. So, I mean, that's just what comes with the territory. Uh, I think, you know, we're going to have to live with it. But he definitely needs to get the ground game going. And most importantly, he's got to use that 6'3", 230-pound beast that's, you know, standing right next to him on the sidelines. Put that man in the game and let him work.
1: Just, just let him. Just let him. Just let him. Just <laughs> run that clock. Allow that defense its time. Because I think the defense is going to do his job. The only times yeah. they ever get strung out, and I think people forget that, too. It's not just how many points you score. It's when you score them. Gordon. You know, and, and, and going back to that Minnesota Miracle game, when you go a whole first half on the road and put up nothing, you put yourself right. in a position to have to scramble and not give yourself those opportunities. And that's where the Saints just have to find that consistency. They can't have four three outs in a row and then put up 21. It's just, it's just that, that, that roller coaster is one that you want them to get off of, too.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it, man. And, and the crazy thing is, Sean knows it. I mean, he, he's a smart dude. Sean's forgotten more football than I ever remember. But yeah. there comes a time when you know, with Sean, it's it's with him, it's not about calling the smart play. You know, it's about calling the play that he wants to call. So I mean, of course, if you know, if it's third and two, he knows. You know, you know the way the flow of the game is going. That yeah, okay, this play may be open but I want to run that one instead. So if I want to run a double reverse flea flicker with my running back throwing the ball to my quarterback, that's what he's going to do because that's who just who Sean is. So it may not be the best play for him to call, but it's going to be the play that he calls. Now, Sean will tell you it's almost like what Denzel said, you know, what's that, Uh, remember the Titans, it's like Novocaine, give it time, it kicks in and it works. That's Sean, if you execute it right, it's going to work. Just go run it, what I, you know, do what I tell you to do and everything is fine. So I just think, man, you know, uh, we saw it against the 49ers last year when, he, you know, he caused the, um, the two-point conversions when, you know, the, they lost by two points. Yep. You kick, you know, extra points in that point, maybe you have a tie game going into overtime. Maybe you don't. But, I mean, I just think Sean sometimes gets in his way a little bit, and it's just going to be something fans have to live with because he's also going to, you know, he's going to coach you in games as well.
1: Yeah, that forty nine ers game, I, I call that if, if there were you know, are we title games or that was the dick measuring contest between him and, yeah. and Shanahan. No doubt. Who's no the doubt. smarter guy? They both tried to to get real cute in the second half, and, and it yeah. almost cost both of them the game. They all no doubt. Both, like that was the thing. It's like you both tried to blow it by being too yeah. damn cute, and it cost Sean Payton in the end. It's just, well, it
0: look, Kyle Shanahan running the same play that New Orleans ran a couple of weeks before was the key measure to be like, oh, you can do it, so can I. So I, I just find that to be hilarious, man. So I actually like the war between the two coaches. It seems like, you know, I guess from Shanahan's time, you know, over there in Atlanta, maybe that kind of built up a little bit. But I think those two teams, as well as the Seattle Seahawks, man, I think that's the three-way dance we got to be careful for. It. But uh, I would love to see. The New Orleans Saints kind of get more of a of a of a physical game plan, and maybe almost you know maybe take it in layers, peel it back a little bit. Don't just you know don't come out first and ten from the you know from the twenty yard line and throw a bomb downfield to kind of let everybody know Drew's arm is okay. I don't care if it takes you three four games before you even unleash the idea that Drew can throw the ball fifty yards. Right. Wait a little bit, then get on it because you know you know let let you know let let it unfold a little bit before you show your hand.
1: Get the play action going. Get that yeah. rhythm of cook on making those breaks towards the sideline. I think that that's going to be available a lot, you know, yeah. I think. And then, like you said, with Sanders being able to come across the middle and open up Mike Thomas for some deeper routes, I think that's going to be huge. And, and with all those guys, man, I would love to finally see the Saints add a bubble screen. You
0: yeah. know what I'm saying? Like
1: you've got the guys you can throw bubble screens with over here now. And, and I would, I would just love to see a couple of those.
0: I can tell you this, man, from what it looks like on paper. Now, I don't know what it's going to look like because I haven't been to the practices yet to see it live or even to know if Sean Payton's going to be willing to unveil anything during those practice sessions that are kind of more open than they've ever been uh, with video and, and, you know, uh, media access. But I think, man, I think this is going to be the closest we've seen in the last past couple of years to what the 2011 team looked like as far as offensively when they were just putting up numbers that looked like a pinball game would make jealous, man. So uh, I just think this is the year. They're versatile offensively. They have a lot of guys who can do things with the ball in their hands. The bubble screen, as you, added, you, know, as you alluded to, could be added to the offense again. We haven't seen that the screen pass like Pierre Thomas used to run it. We haven't seen that in some years now. They've more along the line moved that to that option route and wheel routes. So i just like to see Sean. Peyton pull out the full arsenal this year because you have nothing but versatile guys to run it, especially with Ty Montgomery, Deontay Harris, and of course uh, we're talking about Alvin Kamara.
1: And, and I think it does wonders for Mike Thomas if you can get play action. Because you've seen it, all this, the math that we went through this summer on him And it shows that he's an elite route runner of every type, that he gets separation no matter what the situation, that the whole narrative of him being a one-trick pony, we knew it was false, but it's been proven to be false in this offseason. And I think if you give him that opportunity, no, he's never going to be Randy Moss. Give him that chance to get the step because you know he's going to get the separation. We know physically he's able to, to go up and meet the ball at its highest point. And, you know, hands-wise, you ain't getting it out of there once it reaches his mitts. So, I mean, I would love for him to get a couple more opportunities just to, to get himself down the field the same way Marcus Colston did at times. He wasn't the fastest dude, but you wasn't going to get it from him if you threw it anywhere near him.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And I think that's an element that's been missing from the Saints offense. And I think maybe that's a little bit the idea what, of Drew's arm strength waning. Or maybe, you know, every offseason for the past couple of years, we've heard Drew's losing arm strength. And Drew will come out and basically, you know, denounce that. Well, you know, I don't really use my arm strength. I use torque and force. And there's volume times mass with a cylinder and all this other nonsense. Look, whatever <laughs> you want to tell I mean, it is what it is. We see but, it. Yeah, exactly. We, we saw what was going on. We saw when Sean Payton would pull you out of a game and put Taysom tapes in to throw the ball downfield. We saw that. So I think with that being said, I think this year, Drew's. The, it's the first time he's come out and acknowledged, yeah, I've been working on my arm strength this offseason. So I think with that being said, we will see Mike Thomas you know, do that because, again – Offensively, the Saints have every position that they've had when the, when they when their blueprint was successful. The, the, they have a Marcus Colston type. They have a Lance Moore type. They have a Devry and a Robert Meacham type. They have a fifth wide receiver in, in you know what, what was Courtney Roby who could play special teams and help out offensively. They basically duplicated what was successful for them. You know, Benny Fowler can play the Lance Moore role. Emmanuel Sanders uh, is your number two. You got James two Juan speed Smith, guys. Yeah. <laughs> with Traquan Smith and Deontay Harris, and now you add a Ty Montgomery to the fold as well. I mean, offensively, there's nothing they can't do. So I'd love to see the Saints kind of get back to what made them special. And they're offensively, they look like a team that could rival 2011.
1: Oh, absolutely. The the only other question on offense is who's going to be the backup. I don't think it's really a question. It's clear that Jameis's arm talent surpasses Taysom's. It's it's not even close. The throws that Taysom can make that I mean, that Jameis can make that, that not even Breeze. They're just throws that Jameis's body, his strength, and, and even that his accuracy is better than I thought on some of these throws. His placement is really solid. Um, I, I don't see how there would ever be a circumstance that if Breeze went down, you start tasting over Jameis.
0: Well, I would say it this way, and I, and I, I know it's going to sound conspiracy theory-ish, but number one, I, I agree with you in the idea that Jameis is just a better quarterback, the height, the weight, the arm talent. He's just a better quarterback than people gave him credit for. His problem came in and trying to be the hero because in Tampa, maybe he didn't have the weapons. He did the same thing at Florida State he, when he was underneath he the He picks offense. up bad habits, yeah. Yep. yeah. Played within the offense. He was just fine. When he wanted to play hero ball, he's a turnover machine and he just tries to do too much. With the New Orleans Saints, as long as he doesn't trip coming from under center, he should be fine. I mean, you know, I think that's just how easy the offense is for him when you have all those weapons. As far as Taysom is concerned, there's only one scenario, and it's going to be conspiracy theory-ish, in which I can see Taysom starting over Jameis. You don't want the rest of the league to know you really want Jameis long term. And so you're willing to sacrifice Taysom in order to keep Jameis because you found Taysom's replacement, whether we want to admit it or not. Taysom's replacement was drafted when the Saints decided to be petty and take Tommy Stevens. That's a Taysom Hill clone. Now, can he beat Taysom this year? Probably not. Can they groom him to be Taysom-like? Absolutely. And I think that's why you may see Taysom get his shot at quarterback just to kind of quiet him down, but also keep Jameis on, on the wraps and just to kind of keep teams from being able to say, you know what, we need a quarterback next year. Throw money at Jameis. We saw what he did when Drew Brees was out, kind of like we saw with Teddy Bridgewater. We don't want to see that twice. So I think that's why Sean would say, let's sacrifice Taysom.
1: That, I mean, actually, you know, yeah, because if you're talking about Jameis had $1.1 million this year, he goes out mm-hmm. and has five solid games and at his age and his lack of injury history compared to Teddy and Teddy got 14 million, what, 14 per year? Yeah. So Jameis, that would be 18 to 20 for Jameis because they're giving that to bum backups right now. Jameis, exactly. yeah. So I, I I could see that where Mickey Loomis is like, look, we got to re-sign Ramchick, we got to re-sign Tomorrow we yeah. got to We might as well suppress Jameis's uh, wages the best way we can, particularly with an NFL cap that might drop precipitously if it doesn't get that they don't reach some kind of smoothing agreement. Yeah, I could I could definitely see that because I don't see the Saints if they got fans back in the building next year. I don't think you want to give them the a, a, a four and twelve season with Taysom Hill under the Senate. They're not at all. Back.
0: And not to mention that, but if, you know, if you are Jameis, you know, you kind of want to lay back in the weeds this year and kind of scope out the land, you know, the landscape, see who's going to need a quarterback next year who might not because you know what if it's a team like, you know, uh, you know, for, I know they're building their talent, but what if it's a team like the Cleveland Browns who've been notoriously bad, you don't, you may not want to go to a bad situation. Let, let's keep it honest. Bad teams are going to be the teams that need quarterbacks because most of the teams have drafted quarterbacks this year. I can see Jacksonville. Yeah. Detroit's another one who may be giving up on Matt Stafford very soon. So, I mean, you're going to need those type of teams. And if you're Jameis, look around first before you kind of jump out there and say you want to go. So maybe the Saints do kind of, you know, put him on the raft for a little bit. You know, maybe that, that, you know, injury that, you know, keeps him out for a little bit. But, you know, whatever it takes, I think the Saints are more willing to say, we've seen enough in Jameis to where we'll stash him and we'll we'll gamble saying let's put Taysom out there. Two things happen. You stash Jameis and you also quiet down people who believe Taysom can be a full-time quarterback.
1: That too, that too. Now the, the good thing though is if they don't do fans for most of the season, that becomes a lot easier for Sean Payton to deal with because he doesn't have to hear. And I know he don't care, but I, at the same time, we know how Payton gets to it when there's certain noises. He, the post the post game is going to be really interesting this year. Yes. That's, I'm I'm really interested to see what the first post game looks like in the NFL because this is yeah. going to be so different. We're yeah. not going to get the we're not going to get the temperature of the locker room. No, do not going to get that anymore. Uh, we see it in practices now. Guys have – the relationships are different because you can't be there to talk about specific things because you don't see unless what you've been released to see. So you have to ask very um, general questions on a day-to-day basis right now. It's going to be a lot harder this fall to give fans um, an honest look at this team. And I think the NFL is doing this by design and the way that they're handling this. They don't want – as many people with access to the, to the message or to real information this year.
0: No, but the NFL has always wanted to control the narrative. And I think this is another example of that. You know, if you look at the the difference between the NBA and the NFL, even the way the media coverage is taking place, it's always been a difference. The NBA seems to be more open and saying, you know, here's the access. We want our players to be almost on a one-on-one basis with the media. And the NFL is like, nah, you dirty media stand over there. We'll answer questions when we feel like it. So I think that's why it it is that situation. It's not going to change. And I think this year, as you stated, interesting is a nice way of putting it. I think it's going to be, you know, I, I absolutely. You know, chaos in a way in which it handles, especially when you're talking about a Sean Payton who may be seething that his team just lost the game, and now you want to ask him questions about it, and you're not right in front of it, right on video. You think he's going right. to sit
1: there and listen to your little Zoom questions for a long time? You know how he is. You know how he is, and part of that too is in the post game is being able to hang around long enough, sometimes for guys to cool off and yes. give you that extra yes. statement. That they wouldn't have made 20 minutes prior when they were first walking off the field or whatever. You miss all of that. You miss all. You miss the tunnel conversation that you have with a guy sometimes, a sideline while they're warming up, whatever. Those moments are gone this season uh, for the time being. And then what people don't understand is how limited the access is on a day-to-day basis right now, because the NFL is only allowing a certain amount of people to cover video-wise, it's only allowing a certain amount of people to ask questions. Those question-and-answer sessions end quicker than ever
0: yeah no doubt man i think you know the round robin idea of the media coverage is is another one you know very few reporters have daily access to what the saints are doing so it's a round robin of things and as you stated you don't really get a chance to kind of just you know basically get a feel of the team and i'm not just saying x's and o's or what they look like when they're you know actually out there practicing it's the idea of how do they interact with each other in a locker room now you know is it you know offensive lineman over here d-line over here is everybody mingling you know is there you know we used to hear the stories of ping pong breaking out in the middle of the thing or basketball or something like that like is that going on is the camaraderie there how do they really feel post drew Brees comments are they interacting with him are they kind of standoffish we're not going to know any of that and uh unfortunately it's going to be that way for a very long time until there's a viable cure or, or they you know pe- you know things get relaxed enough to the point to where we're able to fight it off you know without medical you know attention just you know your antibodies but i think that's you know a very far time away from where we are now and this is the new normal
1: lastly i'm gonna ask you this do you feel like, sometimes I feel conflicted in covering all of these right now with where we are in the country. Um, I was conflicted about the way the NBA players handled their situation. Um, I understand why they came back. Um, I kind of hoped that they would stay out a little longer. The NFL is notorious for making sure that these things don't ever get to the point where the league really feels pressured. We haven't seen Roger Goodell say anything since the hostage video. Um we don't see owners really saying anything outside of what happened with the Baltimore Ravens um, and making a strong, legitimate statement that had actionable items in it. Yeah. I, I, I worry a lot with the NFL in particular and the marginalization of black athletes in that league that after this week one nonsense with lift every voice and sing, which I think is just degrading, um, that this is not going to, B, I think we're going to find ourselves in the same situation that we were in four years ago with the NFL of promises made, and, but actions not taken.
0: It's pandering at its, at its finest right now, and I'm not for it, man, whether that be NFL players, NBA players, Major League Baseball. Hell, to be honest with you, the only people who I think actually meant their comments at the a WNBA players. I love them. Yeah, those ladies, you know, they stand on principle and they don't budge when they do it. So I was very disappointed in uh, disappointed in the way the NBA players handled it. Actually, you know, as with you, I wanted them to stay a little bit longer, make a true message, let let the pockets of these major corporations hurt, so they can then in turn put pressure. that you know the corporate sponsors put pressure on the politicians the politicians put pressure on local lawmakers to where we really see some change take place but unfortunately within you know less than 24 hours nba players caved in nfl is never going to be anything more than a bunch of hypocrites because they don't even want it to start with so it's much less even you know have a problem to where they have to actually address the problem we've seen it before the last time roger goodell truly addressed a problem immediately and I wouldn't even necessarily call it immediately, is when the replacement refs blew that game versus Seattle versus uh, Green Bay. And all of a sudden, the very next day, replacement refs were gone, and I will die on this hill. It was not Roger Goodell's call. It was a bunch of people with a lot of money invested in, you know, we like to call that place Las Vegas and Atlantic City. Those people gave Roger Goodell a call and said, this has to end and it ends now. And that's the only way we'll see the same thing happen with others. We need corporate sponsors of Vegas or somebody like that to step in and say, if this doesn't change and change immediately, and I have to lose more money, then you may have to lose something a lot more than that.
1: And I think the the culture of football in and of itself is the most damaging part to um, Black folks speaking up. The culture itself tells you the coach is sacrosanct. The culture says the team comes before the individual, Mm -hmm. but it's always a one-way relationship where the individual gives to the team, but the team Mm -hmm. doesn't give back to the individual. And I've held the Saints organization to feet to the fire on this. You know, I've been very public in my criticism of the, of the organization and um, its milk toast approach to dealing with racial injustice, dealing with this pandemic. All these things they've been very vague. Um, I, I, I am still concerned that that you know we saw Malcolm Jenkins and, and and yeah, he's been a lot more outspoken. But we know Eric Reed. We know what he said about the way Malcolm Jenkins handled these negotiations for the Players' Coalition. And I don't believe he was lying. Um, So I I don't know if I have a lot of confidence that once the season starts, that these players are going to have any real unity on this. And I think that they in a position too, where they could be setting an example for these college players, because they're the ones even more susceptible to being mistreated and being exploited and all this.
0: Well, I, I believe the NFL is serious about racial equality when there's a black owner, when there's more than one black president or, or or vice president of football operations, when I see more black scouts and more black coaches and more you know more blacks in, in positions within the front office, you know you know the front financials and you know you know things like that, I'll believe it then. But until then, I will never believe it because we have one, and I do mean one minority owner. He's not black. He's a, of Middle Eastern descent. And that's Shad Khan over there in Jacksonville. The rest of them, I mean, when Carolina was up for sale, I, whether he was joking or not, the NFL should have taken Puff Daddy seriously and say, "Okay, what are you talking about?" But they didn't even entertain the idea because, of course, one, he's African American, and two, by by all accounts, you know, when it comes to you know just the, the personality
1: that he may be, two, he's very founded. too high profile for NFL, which is weird, because you have a Jerry Jones, you've had Al Davis, you've had these people who are bigger than life figures as owners, Mm -hmm. but you ain't gonna let that happen with a black owner, Mm -hmm. when you know, financially, the way you set this thing up is that where this way this country is set up the ownership is most likely to come from a field of entertainment, because that's where you've allowed black wealth to exist. You don't allow it to come from other places. Bingo. And
0: also, let's let's include the idea of the NFL would rather have everything else but a black owner when the idea of, like you said, Jerry Jones accused of, you know, sexual, you know, sexual misconduct at, at some point. And I I, I don't want to, you know, misquote what exactly it was, but Google it for yourself. Jerry Jones, sexual misconduct. He was caught, I believe, with with escorts is, is how was. And then it you was. go to Washington. Bingo. You go to Washington and everything. Dan Snyder. And you know what? May- New England. New England. <laughs> Yes, New England is another one. So, I mean, we're talking about these are three owners. Jerry Richardson, formerly of the Panthers, was also. So, I mean, at this point, uh, the Indianapolis Colts owner, Jim Irsay, co I mean like how many times do we have to go down these paths but you would have rather have everything else except a black owner simply because he may shuck and dance a little bit for MTV Live. I'm sorry, I just don't have a problem with that if you're gonna allow others to have these teams. So for me, I believe the NFL is serious about racial equality once ownership and leadership starts to change within these organizations, including that of the New Orleans Saints who I can't name a black face.
1: Well, they have one ex- on the executive staff but no decision making power. No. Oh, that's
0: just to show you. So, I mean, there it is. You know, one, and I and I, and I believe uh, Terry is also in a scouting department. Terry Fontenot, I believe it, it is. He, he's African American, so uh, that that may be. And I could be saying his last name in, in, incorrectly, but I believe it's Terry Fontenot. Uh He's you know in charge of you know some type of scouting, or he helps out Jeff Ireland in that department. But still, no. When you're talking about two in an organization with thirty, I, I, that's still not a great ratio.
1: And none of them. No, it was, Saints are one of those organizations, too. You don't see any black former players in the management, other than Fred McAfee. And I'll be honest, I've heard things as to, to why Fred has that job, um, that he's been, you know, very favorable to ownership over the years. And, and, but they are not. And, I, and I've heard former Saints players talk about it. Saints legends talk about feeling – not as welcome in that facility, in that building, in that franchise um, once their days are over. And I think that there are some serious questions still that have to be answered about how this team feels about its African-American players. I think that's a legitimate concern. I don't understand. Look, we're going to see, and I, to me, this is emblematic of it. We're going to see the day Drew Brees retires, nobody's going to wear number nine again. Nobody that's, wears that's number 8 in New Orleans. Nobody has worn it since Archie Manning retired. But you got people wearing 77. You got yes. people wearing 57. You got people wearing 56, 51, 53. I got a problem with that. I have a problem with the fact those jerseys have not been retired. I got a problem if they I got a problem with the fact that they don't have a statue. I got a problem with these things because it seems, I mean, even and I'm not gonna, I'm not going to try to I mean, I don't, I don't want him to get in them, but it seems even with Dupes, the guy who's one of the most beloved players in the franchise, still never has really gotten his real reward within the organization. And I just, that to me has really been a problem because it seems like the Saints tried to erase anything that happened before 2005. Like that this franchise doesn't exist before 2005 essentially. And that history is getting wiped out and those players are dying and we're not honoring them. Yeah, I I think it's
0: it's a little bit shameful that Ricky isn't more involved in the organization. Pat isn't more involved in the organization. Now, I do know recently... Uh, that you know, with the upcoming rookies like Zach Bond, he's had time to do a one-on-one with Pat Willing. I think that was set up by the organization to have Pat Willing kind of you know mentor him a little bit, be a sounding board. So I think Sean is trying, you know, and I, I'm not sure how much effort that is when I say trying, but I do know he's efforting to make it more about the former players kind of be more be, being more involved. Now I don't know if that means just you know if you you know if you're sitting on one step and you move down to another, it doesn't really mean you've went far. It just means that you've moved. I think maybe it could be a situation like that. But, you know, nonetheless, I think that more of an effort could be done to kind of bring some of these former players back, maybe even in a coaching role. I, I, I'm i not, I'm sorry, I do believe Pat Swilling and Ricky Jackson and, you know, some of these other guys have the ability to kind of whisper in the ear of some of the young guys and say, you know what, this is how I did it. Maybe you should try it this way, and it's not going to hurt. I know Armstead, you know, had Willie Rofe as a mentor for him. So maybe they're trying to crack open that door just a little bit more than in, in prior years. But I still think, you know, uh, it's slow moving when it doesn't have to be.
1: Yeah, I mean, You to me, I don't understand why Jonathan Vilma wasn't offered any kind of job on the defensive staff, you know, to, to, to be groomed. Um, when the Saints have gone through so many damn defensive coordinators over the years, like it just there. It just they've not participated in that same pipeline. I mean, even with the coaching staff, how many? How many in positions of leadership under Sean Payton have you had in real leadership, not position coach? but there's not been a defensive coordinator. There's not been an offensive coordinator. There's not been an associate head coach who's been African-American under Sean Payton. And I'm not saying that he's a bigot or anything, but I'm just saying these are the facts.
0: Yeah. I think if anything happens, I think Aaron Glenn is possibly in that, in that role to come up next. I mean, Dan's um, Dan Campbell at one point was the, you know, interim head coach of the Miami dolphins. He comes to New Orleans and immediately he's made like assistant head coach or something like that, man. So I think, that being said, I, I definitely agree with your point that it could have been an Aaron Glenn in that role instead. It could have been one of the younger coaches, you know, who could have came, maybe a CJ or somebody like that, you know, so I think, yeah, more can be done, definitely. But luckily, Sean does have more of an open mind than most of the coaches did, you know, in the past than they've ever had. And I do think he's trying to change something. But again, to me, I, I think it's, I don't think that's necessarily a need to try. If you want to do something, you're Sean just Payton. You can do whatever you're doing in that organization, and nobody's gonna question it because you have that much respect and that much love and that much admiration. If Sean Payton says tomorrow, I want four, you know, four of my coaches to move up into the front office, I think they'll find a position for him. I don't care if it's just, you know, executive director director of pencil sharpening. They can find a position for him if that's what they want.
1: Yeah, and I think it's gonna be interesting. Furthermore, to see how uh, Gail Benson reacts and does this fall, obviously she's recovering right now from COVID nineteen and dealing with that. But the more and more we get away from Tom Benson's death, and the focus goes more and more on what Gail's doing, it's gonna be start. It's gonna start to be time to start holding her to account and under scrutiny for the decisions that they make in relation to this front office and, and on both sides of, the, of the, the aisle and on Airline Highway. It's, it, the honeymoon for her, quite frankly, has to be over. We have to start being serious in how we analyze her. And I think New Orleans media as a whole has gone soft on the Saints and the Pelicans out of a lot of fear, Um, And we need to be more honest about these franchises, the way they deal with the state, the way they deal with uh, the fans. And uh, I think we have to to be more vigilant. We've given them a free ride, essentially, for 20-plus years now.
0: Well, I think 2020 is the year where the honeymoon period ends. I think right now we've had three straight devastating losses for the New Orleans Saints in the playoffs. At some point, we've got to kind of revisit the idea of something's going wrong because every year around the same time, two things happen. One- you lose some of your key players defensively and then you can't stop anybody. And two, that, you know, you get to a, a point in the playoffs to where you can't get past the first game that you play now. And that's three years in a row. So I think something has to be done. Uh, you know, or, you know, I think it, it has to be, you know, something has to change immediately in order for that front for the New Orleans Saints, to concern for the Pelicans. I think it's a totally different entity. I think the honeymoon period's in now because you can no longer say, if you're David Griffin, I don't have my guy. Gail Benson can't tell me that David Griffin is not her guy. You hand-selected David Griffin. He hand-selected Trajan Langdon. And, of course, you know, he picked the rest of the staff from there. Now they get to pick because Alvin Gentry was here. I get it. So now you get to pick your own coach. The honeymoon period is over now. Everybody has to buckle down. You have Zion and the clock is started, you know, the minute that you draft him simply because everyone wants to see Zion leave you like Chris Paul did. like a a Baron Davis did, like Anthony Davis did. Everybody wants to see him leave. And they're not going to, you know, be satisfied until he does. So it's on you now to build a championship team around him and make sure the Pelicans are at least contending, if not winning championships. And New Orleans Saints can no longer get by with having one dusty trophy in the case. Got to add another one.
1: What is your impression of David Griffin? I wanted to ask you that. Because mine and we and the guys over at the Rights have had this conversation. And it's like, we're not really ready to write him off or anything but there also seems to be a little bit of used car salesman in him that he likes to appear on television a lot he likes to be in the spotlight um and he likes to sell and the product isn't complete yet and I, that's my thing is like stop selling me so hard on something that ain't done you know what or i mean
0: something that's never going to be real because i th- I think last year we saw him come out and basically prop Drew Holiday up as, as a potential MVP candidate and Drew fell flat on his face. From the, I don't know <laughs> if it was the pressure. I'm sorry about that, David. Uh, I don't know if it was the pressure involved in the idea of Drew bringing an MVP candidate. I'm not sure if it was the idea of Drew just not being ready to handle the mantle of being team leader and vocal leader because that's not who no. he is. But for whatever reason, you know, I just think David Griffin maybe, you know, bit off more than he could truly sell and Drew Holiday. So yeah, I do have the the used car salesman mentality attached to him. But I also think, man, it, it's, it's a little bit of, I want to see what he does without LeBron James. Now, I know he had the talent to make a deal. You've you know, acquired a, a, a ton of picks. Great. What are you going to do with them? Are you going to use those picks and draft young players to so where we have to wait for, for, forever for them to blossom with the young team? Or are you going to use them as trade assets, trade some of the pieces that you have and move them around? And most importantly, just don't lie to me. If Lonzo Ball is not in your future plans, say that. So we know we need a point guard. Tell me you need a shooting guard because you can't tell me Brandon uh, Ingram is a 6'9 shooting guard. No, he's not. And I know better than that. So that means you need not only a point guard if Lonzo isn't your guy, you need a shooting, a shooting guard because Drew obviously isn't going to be the alpha dog you want him to be. So do you use Drew Holiday to move him and get more assets or other players that you can kind of maybe mesh a little bit better with this core? Whatever it may be, just don't piss on my leg and tell me it's raining. You know, honestly, you know, just be real with me and say this is what it is. This is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to try to make it happen. Now, I don't need you to tell me exactly who you're targeting but I just don't want you to try to bl- you know, blow smoke up my butt trying to tell me that you're not, you know, you're not in this direction when you really are.
1: Yeah, that, that's my thing too, is just be real. Just be honest about what your expectations are for the team because I think a lot of fans felt this year that they got sold something that they didn't get. And um, when you come out and you say on, on, in your first press conference, we're going to kick some ass, well, you didn't kick ass. And, and the thing is, when you're dependent constantly every year on the soft part of the schedule, to make a run. Mm-hmm. That's every year. what That's what we do with the Pelicans. Wait till they get to the soft part of the schedule. Man, if that's all you ever beat up on, you got to remember the Pelicans are the soft part of other people's schedules. Exactly. You know, like You can't be talking down. Like, everybody was like, "Well, oh, they're going to Orlando they got the easiest schedule in Orlando. But they're the worst team, you know, like one of the worst teams there. So they're not like, you can't run around against teams that still had a better winning percentage than you overall and say your schedule is easy when you're the New Orleans Pelicans. And they just have not, my thought has been that they have not had a culture since the day Chris Paul left. Since then, no, it is, they, they have no culture within the franchise from the day. To, they, I think that they were just – they just a, they were a toy for seven, eight years. A toy. But the, the Pelicans don't have any leadership. And what I mean by that is Drew
0: Holiday is not a leader. Nope. He's a guy that's going to go out and do his job, but he's not a leader. Lonzo Ball, not a leader. Brandon
1: Anthony Bieber, Davis not a leader. wasn't a leader. And, you know, Tyreek yeah. Ty- Evans wasn't a leader. It's just you've accumulated – basketball players who and you don't have and even this one when they say Zion Williamson is the identity of the franchise no he's not he's a player identity is bigger than any one player like Correct. It, I it think he's really a key real. component
0: oh, yeah, yeah. yeah key component but definitely not the identity of the team now I think he has the, the dog in him to say give me the ball in the last you know seconds of the game I'm gonna win it for you no doubt but that's not necessarily leadership that's a clutch player Leadership is what Chris Paul does. When David West is out there, you know, trying to get an and one after every single call, it's Chris Paul to make. shut up, leave the refs alone and just play ball, that's a leader. You know, when Tyson Chandler's not in the right spot, when Chris Paul wants to throw that alley-oop and he gets on him, no, I wanted you here instead of there, that's a leader. And most importantly, being able to call out everyone in the organization, that's a leader. Pelicans haven't had that.
1: No, and, and it no. shows up constantly in the last two minutes of ball games Because when you have a guy, I know Ingram wants to take the shot, we've seen that. But for them, over the course of those two minutes, it's, nobody, it's a bunch of guys going, I don't know. I, what do I do? And, I, and all of that wasn't on Alvin Gentry. That's on the mindset of guys. And what they That's do right. in those minutes, they didn't show toughness. The whole time this season, Zion Williamson included, I didn't see toughness out of Zion Williamson this season. And, and we need to be honest about that. He wasn't mentally tough at times, and he wasn't physically tough. With, 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 on defense in particular, Zion was no, no resistance on defense. I'm right there with you. I, I even thought
0: Zion Williamson, do what you do best. He should have had way more block shots than what he did as a help side defender. And he was, it was non existent. So, I mean, I'm not sure if it was the idea he couldn't get into a flow of the game because of the minutes restrictions, or maybe it was the weight that he put on. But it's amazing how much weight he dropped before they got to the bubble. And then all of a sudden, he balloons back up like, like I mean, like I've never seen before. So it just, it, it's amazing that that happened that way. He takes a week and a half off, and all of a sudden now he looks like, you know, the Pillsbury Doughboy when he was looking like Drago at one point. But I don't know what happened with that situation. And most importantly, I don't think the Pelicans gave anybody within the organization the idea that Average was going to be fired. But I do believe that something happened before they got to the bubble because guys were way too disinterested in playing once they got there.
1: Something, I think the word probably had started to get out because from the guys that I've talked to, going back to December, they had already started talking about potentially – um, this is just my understanding. It may not be a hundred percent correct, but that in December, there had been conversations about possibly letting Alvin go. They started playing better. Remember they went 22 and six, 22 and 14 over those 36 games. Um, and I think that what Griffin was trying to do was see what they all look like healthy. Well, yeah. then when they get to Orlando, Zion was gone before they even basically before they even get there, he was, they already knew he was leaving. Um I think that that ended everything. I think that ended everything. It just, Griff didn't want to go on with it anymore. Because for Alvin to say he was shocked, he wouldn't lie. He wouldn't lie about that. I think they didn't tell him and they didn't, but I also agree with Alvin that if they were going to do that, they should have just left the man at home. Just, just, At home, I
0: agree. I agree totally with that, man. I think it was in bad form and with the way they wish they did it. I think it was the right decision but the way in which it was executed was done very poorly for me. In fact, to be honest with you, I mean, you know, I, I felt like the Pelicans gave us false hope at more than one point during the season. And lastly, when it did come to the bubble, because we're believing that these guys with the fresh start would be able to come out there, you know, reinvigorated, ready to ball. And unfortunately for them, it, they just fell flat on their faces. And, you know, I just, I personally feel like now it's your turn, Griff. No, no, you can't. Nobody can blame Alvin Justredi more just like you nope. can't blame Monty Williams anymore. Now it's on Griff. And no matter what decision that he makes, it's, you know, it's going to be reflective of him and Gail Benson. If they can't get it right this time, then a lot of people are going to bring up the idea that, well, maybe the Pelicans should just sell the team because they don't want to do what's right in New world.
1: Yeah. Your thoughts about the, the, the thing that we, that I didn't get to follow up on it. You, when you talked about, you want to see Griff do this without LeBron. Yeah. Let's go back to that. Cause, cause you go, he drafts Anthony Bennett, which you no. Know, and you get Andrew Wiggins, okay, because you backed into the number one again. You get, the, you get Andrew Wiggins. Sure. But you had no idea LeBron's coming. So right. LeBron says he's coming. You got to ship Wiggins out. So everything yeah. falls into your lap in that regard. Everybody wants to be a part of your organization. You get Kevin Love. You, get, you have Kyrie already in place. They do this. They hire Blatt. He goes 30-11. and 11 And, you, and you, they get to the finals the first year. Then they go 30-11 and 11 the second year. And you fired a man. You bring in Ty Lue, so now I would question your loyalty to a coach because if you say you yeah. picked the right coach for your team, the dude had the best record in the Eastern Conference. You fired him in the middle of the season, not because that was on you because he says, well, I made that decision. Now, well, everybody in their mother knows that's a LeBron decision. Yeah. Yeah,
0: so, as well as, you know, like the in-season the trade when he trades like half the team for another one. So I think
1: that's also a part of it. But again, another LeBron decision. And this was all luck too, getting number one, getting Zion Williamson. You didn't know that was going to happen if the Pelicans were at the seven spot or the eight spot in the lottery last year. Everything's different because now your Anthony Davis package looks completely different. You don't have the leverage that you had once you got the one. And now maybe you dealt with the Knicks. Maybe you dealt with you had to deal with Boston and take less because they weren't offering you Jason Tatum. So now you're in that situation. That was luck. That's, I mean, that's, that's pure fortuitous luck. And then the fact that you get the first time in their lives, yeah, you bring in the healthy people, but you get a, a healthy season out of Brandon Ingram. You get a healthy season out of Lonzo Ball. A lot of things went right, and this team is still a mediocre team at best. And I think that if Alvin Jish was a great coach, if, if people thought he was a great coach, that still ain't a 50-win team. Because they
0: don't have right. the heart to be a 50-win team. No, I'm right there with you. I think 50 wins was a little bit over-exaggerated. Again, I think that bill of goods we were sold in the offseason maybe contributed to that a little bit. Uh, but, you know, it, it was always going to be a young team with growing pains. And if they made the playoffs, it was land. Yap. that's the way I kind of figured it would go into the season. But, you know, when you end season and you lose 13 in a row, you realize that's not going to happen. So as you stated, it's now about who's going to play alongside Zion moving forward. And I think, you know, again, this is on Griff now. You can no longer blame anybody else, buddy. This is on you. And you have to make the right call. It starts with the head coach. You got to get this one right. And then you got to find out the style of play because that head coach has to fit the pieces that you have. If not, then you're basically playing a LeBron game all over again and shipping everybody all over the place.
1: You better give that coach the flexibility to move. The players that they need to get rid of. The good thing is that you have a lot of guys who are in their last year, their contract, hmm. or people that could be moved relatively easily. Because outside of Ingram, Zion, Josh Hart, and if Lonzo bounces back, anybody on this team that you would say that you have to have?
0: No. I think we know the core unit. I would love to keep Josh Hart. I want to make sure he's always around. Of course, like you said, Lonzo, B.I., uh, uh, Zion. And I I like Jackson's potential, but I think, you know, I I – I think that's also, yeah, it's also something that has to come with time. I mean, you know, he was compared a lot to Allen over there and, and you know, uh, with Brooklyn when, when he first came out because he was young, not a lot of experience, but had the body to grow and maybe could develop. But if you have to move Jackson, so be it. If you have to move a, a JJ, so be it. And, and to be honest, if you have to move Drew, so be it. Now, I'm not saying you want to move Drew, but if you have to, do whatever you have to do to improve the team because right now, especially with all these contending teams, Drew Holiday is going to be the only major asset possibly available. And if he can net you back a lot, you know, mo- almost what Chris Paul got back from OKC, I mean, do whatever you got to do to increase, you know, the team's potential. But the the, the learning curve, the, I'm sorry, the winning percentage, that all of that has to be, ex- you know, done on a faster pace, accelerated because fans are going to wait around. We gave you one year.
1: You ain't getting two. No, not with all the money, not with all the resources, not with all the talent that you've accumulated. Yeah, you better make a move um, relatively quickly because – when they get to year four, like you said, when, they, when, that, when Zion is looking to be a restricted free agent and he's in that position, I remember clearly when Anthony Davis signed his, that his, his agent told him he was making a mistake signing his extension at 1201, you know, at the first moment that they could. Sure. And I think that people will, and from what I've heard, Zion Wimps' stepdaddy is a lot like Anthony Davis' daddy.
0: That 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 doesn't surprise me at all and I don't blame him because again, you've got time. You've got you and you've got pieces. You've got draft picks as trading chips, you've got players as assets. You have the ability to move some of these guys. The question now is what moves are you going to make to improve the team and what are your key needs? Because I think if you you know, you have to decide what you're gonna do with Lonzo, and then even if you keep Lonzo, you still need a backup. You
1: need a veteran point guard behind him.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. No doubt you absolutely need more outside shooting because there's no way possible you're going to get away with Zion dropping, you know, trying to drop threes. That's not his game. That's not who you want him to be. And, and of course, you know, with BI, you have a young player who could possibly develop into the next Kevin Durant, but you don't want to stymie that at all by having another guy take the ball out of his hands when you already have Zion down low. So you definitely have to figure out how you're going to, you know, put this combination together to where not only does it fit, but it fits well long-term.
1: Yeah, this team will always score points. It needs defenders. It needs veterans who are tough and vocal. It needs, it needs a grown-up in the room. They need somebody other than J.J. Redick, and it's not, that's nothing against J.J. It's just that he can't come in at this stage and be the one to establish that culture because he's not going to be there. And so right. they need somebody who's going to be there as a vet and say, hey, we're committed to you as being the guy who's going to grow these kids up. And for, like, when when... Golden State did it. That was Andre Iguodala's job. He raised those kids from boys to men. Uh, And I think that's what the Pelicans have to find is that one veteran who's going to grow these kids up and teach them what it means to play as a pro every damn night. That when when the game ain't going good, you still can defend, you can still be physical, and you can still fight for the ball. And I think that that's the – the first thing, that's what New Orleans has to have because that's what the city wants – the, the reason that the Crescent City Connection crew resonated with the city of New Orleans was because David West, Tyson Chandler, and Chris Paul were all tough sons of bitches. And yeah, that's the I'm
0: the with city you on that. itself. I, see, I, I'm, I'm definitely with you there, David. And it's the idea I've been saying for years now. The Pelicans need to build a team that reminds everyone of the city that you play. When you think of Memphis, you and they, they came up with that grindhouse mentality. That fits the city of Memphis. You know, when you think about some of the better teams, you know, defensively, when they would get on you, you thought about, you know, those teams, the Pacers, the Indiana Pacers, they reminded you of the, you know, the people in Indiana. The Knicks, the Heat. We're just, you know, out there, you know, you know, basically a steak and potato type of team. The New York Knicks were loud, mouthy. And, you know, so it was always the teams reminded you of their cities. The New Orleans Pelicans have not reminded us of New Orleans yet. And that's why I think the New Orleans Saints kind of played into a, a role in it. They, Sir and Peyton found the formula. We're going to dance in the locker rooms. We're going to talk crazy, but we're going to go out there and smash teams. And when we're doing it, we're going to strut while we're doing it. And that's what, that's what New Orleans is. We're going to have a good time. We're going to party. We're going to strut while we're doing it, but we're also trying to make it. I, need, I think the Pelicans need to find the formula to build a team that, remind, that reminds
1: people of the city and then go from there. Yeah, because I, I think the thing with the Saints is they grind from Tuesday to Friday. You know, I mean, they take the the, the Sunday is game day, take off Monday, and you come back and they grind from Tuesday on, whatever. And, but then, like you said, they have done the work so that they can entertain and be entertaining in the way that they play on the weekends. It's not enough for the Pelicans to be entertaining, to put up 120 points. At some point, the people in New Orleans, like you said, is a blue-collar town. This is a town where mm-hmm. the people are people that have multiple shifts, people who are yeah. giving up their hard-earned money to be in that building because New Orleans means something to them. And whatever is representing New Orleans, they're going to represent and the Pelicans have not represented the city's mindset. They don't feel like a New Orleans team. They started more this year with that. I think the team embraced the city more this year than it ever has. But they still don't have the identity of the city down yet.
0: No, and I think once they do, that's when they'll realize that the synergy will be in place and they'll be able to take off. You know, make no mistake about it, one of the first things we saw, damn, that, I don't know why that keeps happening. Sorry about that. My phone's going dead, man. So don't worry, we almost but, done. Yeah, but so with that being said, man, you know the Saints kind of took that blueprint. Sean came in, switched everything up, and he kind of reinvented himself after the Bonnegate scandal. And he became more of a of a relaxed but still, you know, aggressive version of himself. And you know now you see Twitter fingers Sean and Petty Sean and Savage Sean all on Twitter, you know, pretty much every day. So I think the Pelicans need to find that formula, man. You got pieces. Everybody loves what Bi can can become. We know Lonzo is a pass first point guard and a good defender. We know Zion is that big name that that's going to attract the bright lights that we want. To, for the primetime games. Now find a way to put it together and make it work on the court. And most of all, we love a guy like Josh Hart, who's a glue guy. You know, that guy who's going to do all the dirty work, not going to get a ton of credit. He's going to be that guy that you kind of forget about when you look up. He's dropped 15 points, grabbed seven balls, a couple of steals, you know, and, and, and a couple of assists. That's what we're looking for. You know, we want a guy like that. So basically, if you build this team in a mold of what Josh Hart shows he plays
1: with every night, you'll be just fine. Yep. You get, your, you get yourself four or five more Josh Hart types. Yeah. That's what this team yeah. needs. It's got all the, the, the glamour that it needs. It's got all the speed and quickness and all that. It needs guys who are willing to be team players and basketball players. Like, they need – like, li- you look at those teams that are uh, – they need an Avery Johnson type on this team. You know what I mean? The yeah. dude that's going to come in and just hold – be able to yell, 5-0, Five Five get down yeah. by the block. Timmy, yeah. do this. Somebody on the court has to be able to do that. And the Pelicans have not – it goes, like you said, it goes all the way back into Monty. go all the way back into there. The day Chris Paul left, it's been dead silent in the smoothie kick center as far as leadership. The
0: day no left. doubt about it, man. Man, no I appreciate this. This was,
1: this is a blast. I love when we get to talk, um, whether it's online or offline and I appreciate you, mom. And, and, and what you and need to do. I, you know, I appreciate the grind and I'm gonna keep supporting y'all. And I know y'all will have my back as well. So, um, let, let me let you uh, hit them up, tell them one more time how they can follow you, and we let you out of here, man.
0: Yeah, man. Right now, of course, because of my, my, my aggressive tone on Twitter, I'm on suspension for a week, but you can still follow me at BSPN underscore New Orleans. That's just like the four letter network you all watch daily. It's uh, B as in boy, SPN underscore New Orleans. And I mean, you'll find me there dropping, you know, knowledge when the sauce is, you know, provided, man. So, you know, just stay tuned. And uh, like you said, me and Nader will be back very soon through the podcast airwaves. And potentially, if I can make it happen, man, I'm trying to do a, a little bit of a spinoff. That's more of a of a TV show versus it just being all radio, man. So y'all pay attention for that as well.
1: All right, man. Big things popping, and you know I got you back, and um, and I see you at the top, man. That's what we're gonna do. We're That's gonna... what's up. You already know the takeover, baby. The takeover continues. You know, twenty twenty been rough on a lot of regard, but. I think it solidified a lot of us in our resolve to just go out there and kick some ass. So um, let's go out there and do it, man. Let's go out there and do it. You already told it, bro. That's what it All is, right. man. Take care, David. All right. So, for Brian B. Enemy and Nathan Murphy, uh, Murphy, excuse me, and myself, David Rubb, this has been another episode of Hard to Paint. And uh, I'll talk to y'all soon.